Greenies nerds, this is Cena Nerd. This is the producer, Will Polk. Sarah Belmont, our host, and I are off for the holidays, but we wanted to share this last podcast for 2019. It's the best of podcast with some of our favorite discussions with some of with ourselves and with some of our guests throughout the year. We hope you enjoy. The first recap that is up first is from our January 2019 podcast, the very first one of the year, where we discuss Aquaman and Into the Spider-Verse. Aquaman is killing it in the box office. Yeah, it should it, probably cross a billion worldwide probably by this weekend. Yeah, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about how... Um, we'll get into my reasons why I don't like this film and why Will has to apologize for DC all the time for me. (laughs) Um, But I was thinking about how Marvel kind of set this up to happen because, uh, or not even Marvel, but just Disney. Because Disney has this other franchise, very popular, I don't know if you've heard of it, called Star Wars. Yes, And it got into the habit of releasing a Star Wars film every Christmas. Even my mom this year was like, Sarah, is Star Wars coming out? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, not this year. It's like, oh, <laughs> there's nothing to go see. And so the, the only alternative for event films right now is Aquaman. I mean, yeah. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, absolutely. Yeah. But that there's is also... a harder pitch yeah, for but... especially uh an older family. True. Or Mary Poppins. I mean, I think that was that, you know, I think that was another potential event movie. Um, and, you know, poor, poor Bumblebee just didn't have a chance because this has been tainted by the, you know, previous three or four Transformer movies. It, I mean, it's, it's to the point where people don't even talk about the fact that it bombed and nobody yeah. cares. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in light of everything else that's that going on, I mean, if it had dropped this summer, maybe that would be more headline news. But it's not even that relevant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but but Aquaman, it's just it's riding on a high, and I I always like movies, filmmaking, the amount of effort, time, money, and energy that goes into them. Absolutely, I think, and I don't. I don't necessarily think that this is an undeserving film. I just know that for the money I spent on it, <laughs> I don't really care much about it. <laughs> See, about you know, all, all is funny. I, I, whenever I saw your reaction tweet, I just, I just literally, I, I laughed out loud and, and I just couldn't wait to talk to you about this because, you know, it was all year long when we, talked about you know summer movies and and the dcu mcu dceu i i was the one who was like oh man ah, i just can't i just can't you know i even <laughs> was like i even remember even saying oh i'll you know I'll go see venom before i go see aquaman and mm-hmm. it turns out i haven't seen venom yet <laughs> yep you did there oh go ahead yeah but I really enjoyed this movie, and I and I guess I I had such low expectations, mm-hmm. but I think where Warner Brothers and DC EU has figured out is just stop trying to replicate the Marvel universe, 
and you know three films now um as far as that universe have stood out as far as um good have stood out and i think in, in the audience um and how people have gravitated towards those films and in a positive way man of still wonder woman and now aquaman and and if you want to go global dollars you can get you know also add on you know batman v superman donna justice as far as as far as you know to take at the at the box office but i think what i really liked about this film was it was very self-aware of itself it was it was yes i am jason i'm going to <laughs> we're going to use jason momoa they they, they they worked to his strengths and when they needed to have serious acting chops or whatever on the screen they that's when they you know had him pair with mara and amber amber heard mm-hmm. and nicole kidman and Jamar Morrison, and they just, you know, they play to his strengths in this film and his natural charisma. And that, and it was very, as I said, very self-aware of what it was and what it is, and it didn't try to go beyond that. And that's, that genuineness is why it worked with me. Hmm. (laughs) So, um, I personally blame both you and our friend um, Pacing Pete for me being let down by this film because the way you two were talking about it, like I was like, they got they got Will praising this movie, they got Pete. There, there has to be something. No, Pete's more of an apologist than I am. But you go and push him in front of that bus. Go ahead. I was Love like, this is going to cure cancer the way they're talking about me. And so I went in being like, okay, I can't have, I'm, I'm no longer have low expectations because everybody keeps raving about this movie. And so I had moderately high, like uh-huh. not even high. I was just like, I expected something. Mm-hmm. And I got <laughs> nothing. <laughs> no, I, I, to your point, the strength is Momoa. And I actually think they probably did a disservice to him because they didn't give him more lines. They didn't give him, he, he really could have carried this film. And I think they, they were so caught up in the spectacle of Atlantis, of this mythology of creating this world that they, they forgot that the person and the thing to sell the audience on the most is Momoa. and and but but there's also those moments between him and him and mirror i i bought into their chemistry i brought into that romance and and there's again another missed opportunity where there's a line and this drove me crazy will that mirror says when she first starts going um when they first start, um, when they head to the desert, where she says that she doesn't, she despises the, no, no, she says it to her father, sorry. She says it to her father during the big, the first brother, brother on brother, fish fight showdown thing. (laughs) (laughs) 
um, that she despises the the um, the land as much as her father does, and and they never explored that. I mean, they briefly touched on it a little bit, but I never got real insight as to why exactly she hated um, everyone above so much. I mean, you could say it's because of pollution, yada, yada, yada. But it felt like in that moment they were getting at something more, like where's her mother or something. And and I would have really appreciated that because she plays such, such this pivotal role into... Yes, Arthur's the one who connects the two worlds, but she's the one who who pushes that connection to occur. So, yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, again, I I am not going to sit here and 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 say that as far as storytelling, it was um, the deepest film. <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't. Yeah, um, no. and it was. Yeah, I mean they. But I, I agree with, to your point that they were afraid of Jace, Jason not being able to carry the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, but he clearly can. Yeah. I mean, the evidence has borne it out. I think for me, I think looking back, I know this summer when we first saw the trailer, when we had our um, discussion about San Diego Comic Con, and I think that first trailer. They they adjusted their advertising strategy because the first trailer I I I think I, I think you were a little lukewarm as well, uh, but I definitely was like oh god this is just looks just terrible. All I could think of was the just bad will honors from Justice League and and stuff. And but as they marketed it later down the line, they really focused on the world building aspect of it. And in Atlantis, and that he, you know, that he is indeed the king of the seas, and and it, it, you know, I was like, okay, this is just, it's growing on me, it's growing on me. And when I went to go see it, I, like I said, I, I, I was blown away by his charisma, and it made for a very fun ride, and it didn't, it wasn't too long, thankfully. Uh, it was just about right as far as time, you know, it wasn't like, I mean, uh, you know, cause I, I you know, maybe sacrilege to say it, but I mean, infinity war was just, it was good, but I mean, I was, I was exhausted after that. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? I swear this movie ended four times. <laughs> it was just like, Oh, what's now? Oh, yeah. what's this? What? What? How yeah. long is this movie? There was a yeah. few times I thought that. <laughs> yeah, no, I said, I didn't, I didn't get that feeling. Um, when I, yeah, but you know, again, I mean, if any war is great, so don't get me wrong. I'm not even going to, um, I'm not even going to like apples and oranges. It it, it It really is. is. It is. I mean, this to a degree, I I'm, I'm probably too hard on the movie because it is at best a phase one Marvel movie. If you compare this movie to the original Thor, to the original Captain America, Iron Man, it's on that shelf. Yeah. My problem is as a viewer, I've evolved. Well, <laughs> so I just I I I want 
I want and I expect more because because the biggest pain point to me, I mean, take away all of the CGI and I've already I've said way too much on this podcast about me not being a fan of that um, utilization. But the biggest flaw was really in the villains. I they they tried kind of to build like something that also bothered me is um Orm, I think his name is, the brother. Yeah. He he's so stoic and he's that he's that um classic villain character you always see in these movies. Um and at the end Spoiler alert, when they decide not to kill him and he gets reunited with his mother, for a brief moment, I saw humanity. I saw an actual character. (laughs) And I wish that I had felt that more. You know, I had wish I had understood him not just as this conniving power seeker person, but more as a boy who who also lost his mom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they didn't explore that. Didn't and I know... It. Yeah. They did explore it. And... Yeah, I get, like I said, I, I agree with you there. That storytelling was, it was very thin. And they missed... It. I guess that is where clearly the MCU has... Um, grown and even even I will say the Sony uh, Marvel verse has also done a you know strong job of that uh, with its storytelling when you look at you know with Deadpool and Wolverine and and others so yeah (laughs) I don't know why I said that I'm sorry no no it's fine well, pool's a different. Deadpool's a whole nother. That's a whole. Yeah. That's a genre in and of itself, as far as these films. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess. I, like guess what, I, mean, I guess what you said. I, I guess what you said, like when I was talking about Tom uh, with Infinity War and and Aquaman. I think we're we're to the point now where it's maybe we just need to just stop trying to compare these universes and just see, you know. Just accept them for what they are, um, and enjoy them for what they are. Uh, because again, I think DCEU has, when they have the standalone films, and to your point earlier about Star Wars, uh, with the nice spacing that they have done, and not overloading too many uh, of these characters in a year. Um, you know, maybe they can build they can build their their event movies that way, and that while we have our our great you know serialized MCU like what we're gonna get next year with you know with that extra million this year now with Captain Marvel and uh, Infinity and Endgame and um and we can just enjoy it for what it is. I. Hmm. Just enjoy being a fan. I mean, it's it's a great time to be a fan of these types of movies. Well, being a fan is is one thing, and I even if I walked into that movie like not caring, never maybe never having seen a Marvel movie, I doubt I could honestly say I'd I'd walk away and I wouldn't have these same complaints. Mm-hmm. 
Because, yes, I'm making some comparisons to Marvel movies, but that's just because this is the language we tend to speak in these days about about especially comic book movies. It's Marvel, it's DC. It's this comparison to that. Even in, to a degree in TV, when we talk TV, yeah. you yeah. compare Netflix MCU to the DC um, TV shows on CW to Titans. Like, it's a genre. And yeah. and I think that, that you can absolutely... Um, compare it and and say like well this movie did it right this movie did it wrong and everything and and you can you can also go in and enjoy it and and I understand that this movie probably works for a majority of the audience because it's a popcorn popcorn movie it's an adventure film there's a lot of odes to adventure action movies I'm not a fan of those movies (laughs) I know those aren't movies that I like grew up on. That's not that's not my that's yeah. not at the end of the day what I look for. Right. Yeah. And that's that's totally fine. And that's that's why I yeah, I was also looking forward to having a discussion with you about it because uh that you know, one, we'd be we very boring if we just agreed on everything. But two, mm-hmm. um it it you know, it does you, you made some great points about um how this genre has evolved and has grown and yes you 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 can't help but um sometimes compare and contrast the the different different studios and um and you know it it, it's it started out obviously with the comic books you know people there's preference one way or another so obviously it's going to happen that way with the films as well so uh but let's, uh, yeah, but um, again, it's a great time to be a fan. We're getting some overall solid movies out there. And um, one that I was, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on because you have not shared them with me. And our audience is going to hear it at the same time that I will, is your thoughts on Into the Spider-Verse. Into the Spider-Verse. Um, I like this film. I um I I again blame Pete and Will for expectations. Um, they really need to stop telling me when I have to go see movies. Um, and and the internet. Oh Twitter so that's my res- that's my resolution. <laughs> <laughs> my resolution to you for 2019 and our third year together doing this podcast is I won't tell you to go see anything unless I just surely know that you're going to love it. <laughs> Or <laughs> like it's gonna be the best thing. I um I went in and I I watched the movie and I um beforehand I was so on the fence about going to see it at all because it's been a while since I've actually gone to the theaters for an animated film and so I started watching some more of the trailers and yeah that kind of bothered me because now I know what to expect um. The writing in this movie is pretty, pretty superb. Like, there's a reason why it's now a Golden Globe winning film. Most likely going to be an Oscar winning film. Um, Because this movie has such heart. Yes. And just innocence about it. it's, It's bizarre. There is so much death in this movie. 
And and it's surprising, and there's loss, and there's pain. But at the end of the day, it's about a kid who's growing up, who's trying to find his own identity. And then he gets his powers, and now who is he? Well, he's just another one of these Spider-Man people, and he finds himself in entrenched with all of these different versions. And he has to realize at the end of the day, you can only be the best version of you. That's at least my interpretation. Um, I, I just, this movie is a movie you show your kids and like, this is how you get them into this kind of genre. Um, I, I mean the marketing will, like we were talking about Aquaman and it's marketing and how lukewarm they did such good dis, this, um, misdirect with it because mm-hmm. you go in thinking like okay J- um jake johnson is playing spider-man yep well he is he's peter b parker yep <laughs> um and and you think it's in the same universe but it's not and then the gwen and how how you are introduced to her and there's something off and you're like wait i thought she was oh i see what they did yeah like there's just yeah. They, oh, there's so much, but yeah, I could go on, but but your turn. My turn. Thank uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Yeah, so you, you you stole my thunder, cause I the thing that uh, I was going to say is that movie just had so much heart, and um, you know, as a as a father, and you know, as I'm sitting there watching the film and, and seeing Miles and his parents interact and. And all that, and it's with his uncle, and and just just, just that core of family, mm-hmm. because and you're right, it was such a misdirect. Because and I and I loved how they just like took all the preceding Spider-Man, Spider-Man movies, and poked fun and just pointed on the nose, like this is yes, you know the story. Yeah, we're not going to do this again because you have been told the stories. Ad infinitum forever. So, mm-hmm. you know, so we're here's what we're gonna do, and mm-hmm. and 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 the way they just set that up, and 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 how they set that multiverse up, and you know, and having the Peter, the blonde blonde Peter, I guess Chris Pine Peter, <laughs> Chris Pine. Ugh. Yeah, he's everywhere these days. Uh, just this little side, little side digress a bit there, but. Um, but this, yeah, but I just, it truly was just the heart. It was just such a strong movie. Thank you, Kathleen Kennedy, for firing Lord and Miller. Uh-huh. Because we got the Spider-Verse because, you know, because they took a, like what they tried to do with Solo, taking a well-established story and making it something more. Mm-hmm. And we got that with Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I mean, it, it it was it's weird because you you were saying that we already know the story, and yet the reality is this movie tells you that story at least four different times, yep. four different versions mm-hmm. of that story, but it's still the same thing, and it and it, and you understand how each one of those stories is special and unique and can stand up on its own, but it becomes that much more amazing when they're put together into this kaleidoscope and speaking of people who are everywhere 
Um, Miles's uncle is yeah. pl- voiced by Mahershala Mahershala Ali. Ali, yep. Who is literally in everything these days. Yeah. Another Golden Globe. Speaking of Golden Globes, yeah, went and picked up a. Yeah, and and, last that, night, yeah. and you know that that character, the Prowler. I was a little intimidated by him. Like there was yeah. something menacing until, and then you have that showdown and the reveal and then the shock and yeah. um, the real reason why, why miles can uphold that mantle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's great. It's a great moment. It's a, it's a, t- it's a, it's a throat like tightening moment where, you know, get to your point as we were talking about, you know, Aquaman, where there's that lack of, lack of heart and lack of humanity. Uh-huh. This film just has humanity all over it, uh-huh. and and it's just, you know, a lot of people, you know, maybe prisoners of the moment or whatever, are saying you know, it was the best Spider-Man movie ever. Um, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll try not to be prisoner of the moment, but it, you know, if it's if it's not the best one, it's damn close to being one of the best. Uh, of, of all the Spider-Man movies, and you know, and you go back, especially you know, we go back and look at Sam Sam Raimi's Spider-Man One, how yeah. groundbreaking it was, um, and especially telling the story. But um, but this one, I mean, it's just, yeah, I, I mean, I, I I'm looking forward to seeing it again, and it'll, it'll definitely be one of those ones that if it's if it's on my my ass, it's going to be like you know, I'm just going to stop what I'm doing and like watch it again because it's completely rewatchable. It's, oh, yeah. uh, it's, uh, the, you know, the animation. I mean, I just love the, the, the you know, the comic book as, you know, aspects of the animation and just the, the, you know, throwback nods to the pile zips, the thought balloons, uh, you know, Nicholas Spider-Man noir hits his character. I mean, it's, I mean, Gwen, I mean, all of it, it was just, a, it was just a complete film and you're right. I mean, if it doesn't get an, an Oscar, uh, something's wrong. Yeah, Jake Johnson, um, Peter B. Parker. (laughs) (laughs) He, I, I never thought that he would, I would view him suddenly as Peter Parker. Like Tom Holland is Peter Parker, but a young version. And now I understand who that character is grown up, who he's really supposed to be. And that's Peter B. Parker. Like, and I love what, again, misdirect you like i thought i understood like he's gonna be this like schlub of a hero and gonna learn how to like being a hero again but that's not what his character is about his character is again about how he made a choice the wrong choice and a regret Mm -hmm. um and a lot of adults have regrets and so it makes perfect sense that for him to figure that out he takes this kid under his wing and winds up realizing that no he he could be good at fatherhood he he could um excel at that and not um fail at it um which he was fearful of and and i just i love all of those small touches um i don't know if it's the best spider-man movie um i just think it's a really good movie at the end of the day yeah it is it is i was just talking to a friend about about it and uh they're like, well, I'm really not into animation and everything. And I was like, no, 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 no. Go see it. 
uh, you will even if if you're not into animation, it's just such a a strong and well made film that you'll you'll get so captivated by the story that you'll forget that that it is an animated film. Right. It's, it's a great origin story. It's a great kid yeah. story. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's so much nostalgia to mm-hmm. it. Yeah, there um, is that too. There's that element too. I don't know why I'm going to bring this up, but I'm going to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> I may regret this. Um, so I, re- I remember listening to, I think, a podcast or something one day, and they were talking about Spider-Man and how Spider-Man is just a homage to um, pu- puberty. Um especially for young um, boys um, because you have white stuff coming out everywhere. <laughs> you don't know what to do with it. Stuff. So there's this whole interaction between Miles and Gwen mm-hmm. in school and he keeps sticking to things and yep. he keeps blaming it on hormones. And I was just like, oh, they went there. They went there. They went there. <laughs> oh, my God. I cannot believe I've been in this movie. It's animated. And yeah. right now I'm just thinking about sex. Like, there's this, <laughs> this weird thing that is going on right now. Um, but, like, it it's, like, there's a lot of in, um, not just Easter eggs, but just pure nostalgia for what yeah. this character, all the different versions of this character really means. Yeah. It, 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 you're right. You're right, and um, and it, it truly, yeah. I mean, they they truly do go into the the multiverse, and and I mean, it all even you know, I don't want to spoil, give any spoilers or anything, but um, if you haven't seen it yet, but um, every, you know, I think what we're I was thinking about another show that of an iconic character uh, with uh, Superman, and we were talking about Krypton, mm-hmm. where every generation of fan will find something to like about that show. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the same thing about this, this, this film here is mm-hmm. that every generation of Spider-Man fan, whether you're brand new or you've been like back in the, back in the silver age of comics, you will, you will enjoy, you'll find something to enjoy about this movie and, and to relate to about this movie. And, to your point to the other podcast, as far as, you know, Spider-Man being a story about, you know, coming of age and, and, and young man, you know, uh, going through puberty and everything. It's totally, totally. That's what Spider-Man is. And that's mm-hmm. why so many kids relate to him. And now young women relate to, 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 you know, to the character as well. Um, as far as, uh, when they've had, um, you know, like with Gwen in this film. Yeah. And so, and um, pigs relate to him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Peter Porker. Yeah, I mean, it's just like yeah, pigs, Come on. pigs, anime. You know, android. You know, that robots. You, you name it. Technically, it. technically, there were two uh, female Spider-Mans in the movie. Yeah. I don't know why we only had one pig. I don't know why we couldn't have had another animal version of Spider-Man. <laughs> but I'm just saying, it's not single anybody out. Yeah. <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, no, but it's I I hope it does go on to get the Oscars and our next recap is our February 6th episode of the podcast where we had our reoccurring guest Patricia Miller on to talk about the series finale of The Punisher.
show because talking about shows and cancellations and seasons twos and everything, we, we got to talk about Punisher. All right, let's pull her in. All right. Um, so let's talk about the Punisher season two. Yeah. I it 95% of it, Patricia. So, so tell me what I should remember about the Punisher season two. Okay, you should remember Frank's walk. Check. Yep, that's it. <laughs> no, I just always remember our conversation about Frank's walk and, you know, how, anyway. But yeah. I, I do know how, and I understand completely. Will is completely confused, um, which is a must on this show, so you're you're right on track. Yep. I'm, I'm right on cue. I'm awesome. lost. I'm lost, so educate me and the listeners who may not know this inside story here. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think to start off, you know, there's so many different little side storylines that are going on and it gets sort of convoluted as life does. And like, I, I just love all the different themes that come out of the show. And like we talked about the first Punisher season, I think they've done a beautiful job at describing all these different versions and portraying all of these different versions of what people go through with PTSD. And they haven't left any stone unturned with this because every character on the show has a different type or a different event may be war it may be family it may be you know being a cop it may be being a victim they all have different versions of PTSD and so that's that's the thing that I love about this show the most and I felt like overall the show was like really well organized too like at least for me and one thing that I, I thought was funny, like I think Sarah, you'll appreciate this, is that as I was binge watching it, I realized that there was a different writer and there was a different director for almost every single episode, and yet it didn't feel like a different writer or a different director. And I started noticing that on like some other shows too, like Daredevil and I was like, hmm, they did a really good job at piecing it all together. So I I appreciated how smooth the change of director for each episode was. Um, I don't know if that's like normal for TV shows, though. So I'm a total noob saying this. (laughs) No, what typically happens is they have a writer's room. So and they break out the the overall season arcs and then uh, one or two writers can assign each episode um, along with a director. And most it's more common to have different directors for every single episode of the show. Only a few directors like Sam Esmail for Mr. Robot and Homecoming. He directed all of those episodes. Um, Mr. Robot season one, he did it fully direct seasons two in theory and season four which should be arriving any day now um he he directed all the episodes so that's actually more uncommon than what you're referring to which is pretty normal oh okay well i got knowledge dropped on me but either way i think it's amazing that people can like 
you know, so many different directors, they make it real smooth. Congrats, guys. You did a good job. <laughs> no, it, you know, it, like, not to, not to undermine that, but you're absolutely right. Like, I spend a lot of time watching these shows and being like, oh, this is clearly a different director and this doesn't feel cohesive. And so to know that not only that they have sent um, different directors, but different writers behind it and have one cohesive story like that. It, it, it really is a, a good achievement for a show because sometimes it is very noticeable, noticeable and distracting. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll just like sort of talk like my t- two favorite episodes of the entire show was the one, I think it was episode three or four where they were stuck in the cop shop in Larkville Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um, John Preacher was on the outside and they were being fired upon. And then, you know, like Frank is like, you better set me loose, Sheriff. Like that was my favorite episode because he had, he had, like Frank, like that theme of that episode, Frank is telling them like, and telling the girl Amy, which we find out her name is later, but he's telling her like, you can't run forever. You want to see what's coming at you. So you got to run at it. You got to be on the defense and the offense. And if you're on offense, it's better for your defense basically is what he's saying. But what's funny is that, when he is running through the woods playing offense and knocking all those guys off, the preacher man is coming after him. And he's so focused on the offense part that he didn't realize that the preacher man was coming after him until the very last second. And then all of a sudden, Madani was there, like his little guardian angel, of course. And so, even though you're playing offense and you're bringing the fight to your to your oppressors you still have to watch your back and i just thought like that theme of the whole show was i mean just really eye-opening to me i guess i um to get off your point about madani i think that this is one of the bigger controversial parts of the season two is that majority of the viewers are were not on board with her um her actions because she in season one she was such a badass in the sense that she was a cop she knew her goal she knew her target and then yes she was manipulated but she didn't she didn't see it and so this season she she she's um coming at it from a place of PTSD and still dealing with how could I be so stupid? And now that I find myself in this position, suddenly I can't tell right from wrong. Maybe um, yeah. I'm more aligned with you, Patricia. I, I felt like Madani, the dynamic between Madani, Frank and um, Jigsaw. Um, I'm forgetting his real name. It w- was really good. I, I enjoyed it while I was watching it. Um, of course, none of it, and this is what I find so interesting, none of it stuck with me. Um, I, I watched this the weekend it dropped, and a majority of it did not stick with me following, um, like, four weeks later. 
And and that that's a bad sign because I would have hoped some of it would be more like I can totally go back to that moment. I know exactly what the characters were doing. I want to rewatch the season. I don't have that drive at all. The only episode I've rewatched multiple times is the castle episode. And we all know why. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I loved Madani's storyline through mm-hmm. through this series because like I said she she's coming from a place of her own PTSD mm-hmm. and everybody experiences PTSD in such a different way and whether or not other people understand it the person has to understand their PTSD and try to work on it in a way that works for them and that's mm-hmm. like what when Madani went to Curtis's I can't remember which episode it is but Madani went to Curtis's support group. Yep. And the the one guy was like, "Well, I don't know what you're doing here, lady. Like, where where are you here for research or blah blah blah?" And then she has her little blurb about like, "Well, what? You don't think I know what it feels like to be this or do this or experience that?" And I was just like, "Yeah. <laughs> now what, buddy?" Like I was totally in Madani's corner in that moment. And I just, I loved it. And it's it's just that eye-opening thing that people, it doesn't matter how big or how small. Like Amy, she didn't really go through something as dramatic as even Madani. Like Stein dying in her arms and being betrayed and stuff. She didn't go to war. She just it was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And she happened to see all of her friends' dead bodies in a hotel room. And that can cause PTSD, especially for a character that's as, as young as that she is. I mean, it could be as simple as your cat dying. It could be as simple as, you know, falling down at the store. I don't know. But whatever PTSD that you have, you there's just so many different things that you have to do to deal with it. And I think, this, like I've said, and I've, I know I'm repeating myself, the show does a really nice job of showing that and it's uh, just really cool. right no you know you're 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 spot on Patricia with all of this um I think what you're also getting at is more that we all have our own trauma and some of it is loud and nasty and it's much more painful but others it's not that they don't experience trauma it's just um And it's not even that it's minimal. It's just different. It's unique. Um, And and I think and and if you go if you think about just in terms of people growing and that you're everybody has their own trauma and that's what makes them who they are and will continue to make the what them who they are because we all have trauma at different stages of our life and and you're you're right on that this show takes that and puts it because of the events of season one is able to capture not that not just through Frank's eye but through the eye of everyone he interacted with since coming home because that scene stuck out to me too in the sport group because soldiers come home and feel out of place because suddenly they're not on the war front suddenly they're not in that routine and in that soldier mentality. 
But from Madani's perspective, she's like, the war doesn't stop just because you're home. We fight a war here, too. It's just in a very different way. Um, yeah. and, and that assimilation is hard on people, especially soldiers. Um, another thing, we, we, we got to talk about this, Patricia. Okay. Yep. Okay. Another reason why I don't like season two. I never got a kiss between Frank and Karen. <laughs> and I'm really upset about it. And I have my own PTSD from it. It is the most unfulfilled promise I have ever seen a TV show do. I am still deeply hurt. Um, I wanted to shoot Amy the moment she walked into that room. How dare she? Um, the so, fact so something that, did stick with you. Yeah, <laughs> I told you, like, that episode I've watched multiple times, yeah. um, because that episode about broke me, and, yeah. and about broke Frank, and, and oh, when he brought up Daredevil, how dare he? <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I, have to, I have to admit, I did think of you whenever I was watching that, uh, that episode, because I knew it was just like, I, I could imagine you, like, throwing all kinds of things at the screen. <laughs> I was I was so engaged and then and um Karen now here's the question do you guys really think honestly that Karen was there to sacrifice everything for him or was that that just the heat of the moment Um I'm not as invested as you two so I can I'll just toss it out I think it was just heat of the moment um and so it was yeah I, mean, I think that's that was her motivations uh you know but i but again i'm not as invested so I, you know i could be way wrong mm-hmm. well okay so i have to tell you that i had not watched daredevil season three before i watched this season so after I finished season two of Punisher, then I was curious as to why Frank was like, well, does Murdoch know you're here? Like, or is he happy that you're here or whatever? I think that I hate to disappoint you. I love the idea of Castle being a thing. Trust me. I do. But I think ultimately it's a, it's a deeper relationship. It's not, just it's not a romantic relationship it's more of like okay so like I know Frank and Billy have talked about this about being overseas and they have their brotherhood of their of their unit and that's their family and here like being at home their unit is so close-knit you know Karen, Foggy, Matt, and, you know, Frank was a big part of that. And so it's, I I feel like it's more of that kind of a relationship, like a really, really strong friendship that, yeah, I'm here and I will sacrifice what I need to, to make sure that you're safe. Cause she's always felt that connection with Frank, even in, even in the, the daredevil and the first season of Punisher, like, she's always had this special connection that she knows that he's a good guy, and so that's that's what I think it is. I think it's their version of a being a military unit, that brotherhood-esque feeling. 
And Frank hasn't found that with many other people. Right. Did I just um, destroy things for you? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's not that you destroyed things. The Raiders destroyed things because they didn't fulfill. I, I just don't like being teased, guys. If you're gonna if you're gonna have those two characters make hard eyes at each other for multiple seasons and and basically not state that they love each other, but imply, imply, imply. Um, um, why not, why not a little, little peck, you know, a little goodbye kiss, huh? Huh? What, what, what about that? What about a little bit moment? Okay. We've had two moments now in the, in the elevator and in the, the, uh, doctor's room. I'm so, so yeah, yeah. Castle. I don't, I don't know. Um, so this is the last season, right? Of the Punisher. Is it the last season of The Punisher? I mean, I think they did a pretty good job of, like, summing everything up. And it, if it is the last season, they didn't leave anything hanging. So I wouldn't be mad if it was the last season. I would just be disappointed as a viewer because I love... I will... You know, I haven't said much about The Punisher. Like, like you, Patricia, the episode that stands out for me was definitely the one where they were at the police station uh, in that little town. Uh, felt like that was most three-dimensional. It was like the- it was like the whole season compacted yeah. into one little moment. Yeah, it was the most three-dimensional I felt, and also, you know, admittedly, I'm not a big fan of of either seasons one or two as far as the shows. But I, you know, I have to give kudos to John Barenthal. His portrayal and passion of, for that character is the one thing that kept me um, kept me engaged to make it through the end. Uh, if and, and as someone who is not as invested in the show as others are, uh, that that was what kept me kept me around. His I, I did enjoy his portrayal of Frank, and, um, and and but I do think that if trend hold trends hold with what's going on with the Netflix shows with the Marvel Universe on Netflix, this this was it. But you know, again, I think it was a satisfying end. If it is. Indeed, the end for the show. The I mean, that makes me sad. But the other thing I wanted to bring up about trauma that I just thought of was, um, you know how um, in the very beginning, I can't. I think it was like the second episode. Frank goes to visit Kurt, Curtis, his war buddy. Frank wanted um, Billy to live with the guilt. And knowing that Frank messed up his face and that he had done all this stuff and that's what he was going to have to live with for, you know, the rest of his life. But ironically, he doesn't remember anything. And so everybody else has to live with it except for Billy. Anyway, I thought that was a really cool concept that they pulled in. Mm-hmm. I don't know, if Sarah, if you had any ideas or had anything to say about that. Well, and it wasn't... Every- Everybody around him has to deal with what Billy did. You know, like, do you think Billy actually lost his mind or do you think he actually remembered? It goes to your theme of trauma. I think if he might think he probably blacked it out because if he did indeed remember, it would have just. And maybe it did. I mean, that was maybe that was that subconscious thing that was sort of trapped back there that just kept driving him to, to for this revenge. And that was those motivations because he did 
indeed remember have an, on its subconscious Frank beating the crap out of him at the end of season one. No, I just I just wanted to ask the question like, <laughs> did you guys think that he lost his mind, or did you guys think that he actually remembered? I don't I don't know. I I honestly don't, and I think maybe that's one of the strengths of the writing is that you don't know for sure, um, depending on how you're looking at it. He he was really screwed up at the end of season one. I don't think he should have lived, and honestly, I was more distracted by the fact that, are you kidding me, they're going to call him Jigsaw, and he has a few red lines on his face? He he wasn't that disturbing looking. Um, that really bothered me, and I um, I really hated that aspect so much that it took me a while to get used to it and kind of focus on okay they're doing something interesting with him psychologically maybe I should focus on that rather than how his physical changes don't match up to what it should be um, in terms of who his character represents and plus I would be really mad if I was Frank and I was like I screwed up his face I took his his life away from him um now he has like three scars on his face what the heck (laughs) my whole family died and that was my justice that doesn't make any sense (laughs) what did you think of the um psychologist that was working with billy russo that you know they were going to run away together and she was afraid of heights she used to play on supergirl She was Alex's lover for a full season, and that's what I thought about. And I thought about the fact that this is going to be really random. Um, um, The pencil skirts. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, so all girls have that little stomach poke out there. Okay, I shouldn't feel so. I I liked it until I didn't like it. Um, I liked it as a very something I did not expect coming into the season. And then I didn't like it the moment that they started to really um, get involved. And I was like, this is moving way too fast. I'm, I, they're both psychos. Uh, she, she got I understand her 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 family trauma that's kind of interesting but at the same time she's really screwed up in the head and I just yeah I was too focused on the castle situation at that point yeah I didn't I didn't I didn't trust her character from the beginning like I didn't like her character from the beginning I was like mm, no nah, there's something wrong with her there's def something wrong with her like, I had my suspicions from the moment that you met the character. And I was like, mm, it's going to end bad. And sure enough, it did. And I'm really surprised that, like, she's still alive, one. And two, I wonder if they're going to do anything with that. But I highly doubt it. But anyway, I thought, I mean, I had a bad feeling about her the entire time. So that was my thing. I don't know, but she did a good job as like as an actress playing the part. She's a really good actress. She's also in a relationship with Casey Affleck. Why I know this, I don't know, and why I'm telling you guys, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, random, didn't, random I didn't put her together for um, Alex's girlfriend, and now that you've said that, I'm like, oh, you're right. But yeah, anyway. yeah, they they were committed, and then she broke her heart 
and ran off with Jigsaw. Yep. That'll, that'll do it. That'll do it. Man. Should have been the other way around. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, it, it's just, yeah. I, you know, I, I find it interesting you went back to watch Daredevil season three because um, that show, knowing it was going to get canceled, it kind of ended on a very, hey, we're all happy now note. And and this show did it similarly. Like, um, yeah. And it kind of bothers me because it's so early on in these runs to be closing the book on these characters. And, and so that's the only redeeming part of what happened between Karen and Frank. It's kind of like, yeah, they, they're not going to be, and you know what? I'll argue it right now. Matt and Karen won't be because Matt and Karen didn't get back together at the end of season three. Okay. And also if they would have, she would have gotten killed because Matt always gets Karen killed in the end. That's it for us tonight, people. <laughs> Mic drop. Matt always kills Karen, and Karen never kisses Frank. Done. <laughs> okay, you didn't have to add in the last part. How dare you, woman? Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter to criticize you about bringing that up? <laughs> You can find me on Twitter and tell me all about your castle problems at PRMiller20. Two shows that we really enjoyed talking about this year were Doom Patrol and Cloak and Dagger. And in this next recap from our April the 8th, 2019 podcast are the season mirror of Cloak and Dagger and our probably our favorite episode of Doom Patrol recap Therapy Patrol Cloak and Dagger came back for season two yep. two brand new episodes back to back I feel like they did that in season one as they well they did and you kind of got that like with the first episode it was a lot of this is how long it's been and this is where these characters are um they're <laughs> they're the worst vigilantes. <laughs> they just really are. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what they're doing. Nope. <laughs> that was made abundantly clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which one do you want to start with? <laughs> uh, what do you mean? As far as who's the worst vigilante, uh, Ty or Tandy? <laughs> yeah, we can we can start with Tyrone. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Ty, he, uh, hmm. well, I guess just the, I, the series does jump forward a little bit in time. Uh, this, it, you know, set up if to remind folks at the end of the, uh, end of season one, they saved the world. And, uh, but also, uh, Ty was framed for, uh, the corrupt cops murder. So they think he's a cop killer. And so we're left with Tyrone now living in the church and Tandy has reestablished her connection with her mother um, and living with, with, with her mom. And so Ty now is the, the one man crusader who is going to take on the drug world and in new Orleans and in the process of doing so just messes up detective O'Reilly's and the, New Orleans Police Department's efforts to try to end a, a, a potential gang war, and in fact, 
you know, by his actions, he ends up exacerbating the situation. So, yeah. yeah. So, and also stumbling upon a, a human trafficking, uh, ring as well. Yeah. And, and it's, I forgot how well written this show was. And then I started watching the first episode and then the second episode just capitalized on it. Yeah. Um, and because you, you have two central characters and so you get to see both perspectives and I like how, um, even though they save the world and they're seven lead team, you get the feeling like they, they don't realize how how connected or how much they truly need each other. They think they do. They they have movie nights and everything. Candy's one of the few people who actually know where Ty knows where he is. Um she did not know he was going out there. He didn't realize that she was also doing her own thing. And and then I like how both of those paths intersect and overlap and cross to where, like, no, guys, remember, you are fighting for the same thing. You may not realize it, but you are. You're still on the same path. And and something that I just could not help thinking about during these episodes was, why does Tandy have so much power? Like, she, yeah. I feel like her her power keeps evolving, and I'm like, why can only Tyrone do like one magic trick? Maybe two, because we don't know where, where that, that cop went right. last season, but, but still it feels very, um, imbalanced. It is. It is. And unfair. It, it, it is imbalanced. And I think, cause and even throughout season one, if we, you're right, her, she definitely moved along at a faster pace with controlling and understanding how to use her power sometimes by happenstance like i know uh there was a situation where she tried to commit suicide in season one and then she this, that emotionally being in peril caused her to figure out a way to uh save herself uh there was and, and this season we saw that again uh like when in episode two when the truck was coming uh, she figured out how to basically create like a light crystal. <laughs> and of course, then of course, even in season one, and we saw it here in season two, she's able to throw her light daggers and stuff. So I think it's, she might just be, even though she has a lot of trauma in her life with her father, issues with Roxanne, and then of course she thought he was a very heroic figure, but she ends up turning out that her father actually was a domestic abuser. It seems that Sandy is very open to open to exploring her powers and testing the limits. And even though Tyrone is the probably the more book smart between the two of them, she's very street smart and mm-hmm. and a very and because of that street smarts and very sav- that savviness is is willing and able to be more free to explore her powers and explore the experiences. And, and so hers, you know, so her almost emotional intelligence and everything is actually higher than his. And I think that's, and since their powers are so tied to their emotions and and in some ways she has a better handle on hers than he does, it opens her up to being able to do these things better than he can at this point. Right. I, I don't, I don't know if she can do it better because she keeps or, like, 
or maybe reigning power. <laughs> yeah, or maybe not better, but maybe she's just, you know, as you're saying, the imbalance. Maybe she's just further along and doing certain things that he can. Maybe, maybe. Um, I since you brought up book smarts, so I do have to point out or ever ask the question, what is Tyrone doing studying thermal dynamics? I mean, the kid is on the run from the the police. Is he really going to apply to college? Yes, he is. I don't, I don't understand. Well, no, I think it's very – so Ty, in this church, he's trying to hold on to as many, quote, unquote, normal things, at least in his mm-hmm. world, that he can. And – Ty, prior to all this going down, he was on that track of being, you know, he was the, the, the quote unquote good kid who was doing the right things and you know, he was, uh, excelled in the classroom. He excelled on the, on the basketball court. So he had all these things going for him. And then now because of what happened, um, with the detective and, and being on the run, all that has like fallen apart for him. So the only thing for him, for him, Studying and you know, continuing to hit those books not only continues his trying to have some normalcy, but also I think this show is very, they're not afraid of, of, um, taking on issues and, and being very grounded in, in some things. And so Ty being an African American male and obviously his parents in that home really instilled the value of education and everything on him. It just continues that part of his background and his his history as well. That you know, I'm going to get one day become free of this allegation, and I've, I've got to I got to stay sharp and be ready for whatever my life brings me after all this. So mm-hmm. I, I think it was just very consistent with his character why he was sitting there <laughs> studying thermodynamics, which I'm like, man, high school kid taking thermo wow but uh but it's just consistent with with what we know of him right no i i like that idea of that in light of everything he's trying to retain a sense of normalcy considering how his life got turned literally upside down um i then and after thinking about it through that lens it makes me think maybe by the end of the season or by the end of season 3 there's going to be a decision between continuing that path or fully embracing the vigilante lifestyle because it's interesting how how he's trying to retain that normalcy yet he's still going out there every night he's yeah. still following the drug lords because he has he had that very impassioned moment with Tandy where he's like, we can't do, I can't do nothing. Like right, I know right. this is going on and I want to, I want to do what I, what I can to help. It's a very Spider-Man moment mm-hmm. It is with the responsibility of having that power. So, so I think that he, he he's going to have to make a decision because I mean, y- y- you can only do so much like in what really is a priority going yeah. to be for him moving forward because because he's probably going to wind up in more trouble down the line if he continues on what he's doing now i mean vigilantes aren't heroes right. they're not going to get deputized <laughs> no they're not no they're not 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 this universe <laughs> oh not, the yeah, shade man. yeah <laughs> and and you know it's it's a good juxtaposition to what's going on with tandy because mm-hmm. part of the reason why she doesn't know what he's doing is he feels like she's 
now and it's so much of a better place. But what we realize over the course of these two episodes is that she knows how to put up a good front, but mentally she is more tormented than ever by what happened with her parents' marriage. I mean, there was that great moment in the second episode where she sees her dad in the street and, and um, Olivia did a great job portraying that moment because she didn't, her facial expression didn't change and you could just see it in her eyes about how terrified she was. Yeah. Yeah. She was definitely terrified in that moment when she saw him coming down the street and that, I mean, those, those scenes with her, with her torment and her pain. And when she's in the, in the support group with the other uh, survivors really comes out very, very well. And, and also her, I don't know if I want to say brokenness, but her, like her sense of wanting to empower others really and, and not taking them from where they are in at, at their place in their journey, because she's almost like, okay, Yes, I'm a survivor and my mother's a survivor and, you know, it's, and we got through this and, and it's almost like a paternal kind of instinct that she has, kind of like she has sometimes with Ty, mm-hmm. where she just t- takes it upon herself to like want to fix it. And, and unfortunately with the, the one, um, survivor, it ended up backfiring to the point where, you know, she ends up getting kidnapped, taken by the trafficking ring and, um, ends up in the hospital. Um, mm-hmm. and so, and, but again, it was very, a very grounding moment with, for, for, for Tandy to realize that, oh, you know, I, I'm not all powerful either. And, and I'm still, she's still, you know, when she's in the, in the dance studio trying to, you know, work through those, those emotions and feelings. Um, and continues to stumble and fall. It's very, you know, it's very grounded that in that and, and, and realize that, you know, it reminds us that these two characters are still kids mm-hmm. and, and they're still growing and still learning. So, I mean, I just, I just really, I didn't realize how much I missed the show until it came back this week and I was really excited for it. And I, and like you said at the very beginning, they're, 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 they're great at storytelling and, and really why this separates this show from some of the others that are out there that, you know, is very grounded. But oh yeah, by the way, these folks have superpowers as well. Right, right. I, so, so they end the first episode with Tandy and Tyrone staking out a, a meetup of all of these drug lords. Mm-hmm. And, and then they, they have planted a device to record the conversation to get Detective O'Reilly what she needs. Mm-hmm. And it ends up in, um, bloodshed and yeah. everybody dies. And Tyrone and Tandy are very confused. Um, but, but what happens is that's what concludes the first episode to start the second episode. You, you find this drawing of what we learn is a, a vive, um, which is an invocation or a transactional prayer used to summon a loa. So a question can be answered or a request can be made. And I love, I was, first of all, um, how much time did that person have to draw the vivet? That's yeah. what I want to know. 
because um, that was very articulate. And he, I was just like, he's just bleeding out. Like, he's bleeding out, having, yeah. like what is going on? Um, I get why they did it. Um, but I, but see, this is another thing I forgot about is the voodoo and the spirituality of this show and who Tandy and Tyrone are. I mean, we're not talking about characters who were, who had a particle accelerator explode or were, was sent to an island. These, these two characters, um, are purposely planted in New Orleans. And there's a mythology there that they continue to intertwine with um, where they come from and where their powers come from. Mm-hmm. So so to have that continued is great. Um, I want to know where it takes us. I know it's going to have something to do with mayhem for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really liked, again, just that moment of um, Tyrone talking with um Avita's aunt about it and her explaining where it comes from and then him also being assigned his like own vivay. Um I forget which one, but it had something to do with being at a crossroads, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right, yeah. Yeah. Um so so do you th- like originally I thought Mayhem was Mama Brigitte? But do you think by the end we're going to see Mama Brigitte or is that just going to like be more of a myth that is brought up? I, I think that given that this show dabbles in the supernatural, I think it's probably going to, but, but at the same time still tries to have some grounding. I think it's probably going to be uh, a myth. Okay. Fair. Uh, fair. Yeah. Uh, but, but it will, but you know, just like they, but they'll use it like they did in season one to um, build up the construct of the divine pairing. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be the same for Mayhem. Okay. Okay. Speaking of Mayhem, yeah. what, what were your thoughts about Detective O'Reilly and Mayhem, who, who we learn by the end of the second episode are technically two different people, but yeah. still have the same face? I, I, yeah, so I like that. Uh, I guess, yeah, because we haven't really talked about Bridget much um, <laughs> at all so far. And so just, again, to, to reset for folks who are uh, maybe it's their first time watching the show, at the end of last season, uh, we, Tyrone and Tandy, save New Orleans and the world from Roxanne. They, they learned that there was this energy, negative this energy that was, under the city. And so where we left O'Reilly, she got, um, I think she was dumped into the, into the, uh, river, if I recall. Um, I can't remember exactly how she ended up in the swamp, but basically she comes out of the swamp and we, she, we learned that that's where she, she's infused with these powers. And so, uh, when we, when they showed us at the end of this episode that there were actually two, that it was a split. Uh, I was, it, I was, it got me. I, mm-hmm. I, I was, I was like, wow. So, cause all this time I thought it was truly a Jekyll. I figured it was just going to do the normal Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing. And we just, you know, what, whatever reason, something triggers it and she becomes into this other, this mayhem persona. But when it was actually two separate individuals, uh, there's so much they could play with that. Right. Uh, and because when we find, uh, I'll say Brid- Bridget one, 
uh, we find a person who is definitely traumatized, has a lot of PTSD. She's trying to work her way back from all the things that happened from her boyfriend getting murdered to the, uh, just things that happened at the end of first season. And, and then we, you know, we get this character of mayhem that is unveiled with, uh, went in that, in that scene with, the, in the parking with, well, I guess there was that moment where she was looking in the reflective pool. Yep. It, it was the bar. Yeah. She, she, yeah. Bridget went out drinking, got, yeah. gets wasted, and then yeah. she stumbles out of the bar, and then yeah. you, you think that she's envisioning, having a vision of this other other person who looks like her sounds like her but isn't um but no it's actually mayhem and mayhem ties her up and then goes out and tries to play detective yeah yes with uh very with very uh judge jury and executioner results <laughs> mind you. yeah which i mean it's funny how you let it with like how her name is bridget which sounds a lot like brigitte mm-hmm so, so we're gonna, we're gonna definitely, Mama Bridget is at play here. I don't know if, if that's who Mayhem is, like a real name for Mayhem, but, um, or maybe Mayhem's just a follower of Mama Bridget for all we know. And, and also as you were talking about what's going on with Detective O'Reilly, it made me think about how this is a much better way to portray the duality. Mm-hmm. And that's what this show often does. It's the duality of these characters, Tyrone and Tandy being um being opposite sides of that same coin. Um and now you get that with Detective O'Reilly as well, who's kind of facing um a, a reflection. Probably a fle- reflection she doesn't recognize clearly, but um is still part of part of her, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Um so so we're going to we're going to talk about Doom Patrol, but I want to say like the second episode it does a narrative change that again, I forget how well this show is written, but having that retaining the multiple perceptions of the same day Mm-hmm. And just having that that replay again and again and again, um, I think Doom Patrol did it better though. And because yeah. Doom Patrol recently had an episode very that's constructed very similar to that, but I think in the end Doom Patrol pulled it off better. Um, not to say that that what Cloak and Dagger did was awful. No, no, no. it just it just if I'm comparing both of them. Yeah. There there's a clear winner in my opinion based on how they ended it. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and to be fair, I mean this is only the second episode of of um season 2 for Cloak and Dagger, but I I would agree with you that uh, so far Doom, Doom Patrol definitely has pulled this um narrative through the multiple perspectives much better. I, I would yeah. agree with you there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The the theory the therapy episode is genius i loved it i i thought it was so clever it was so good it was so engaging and it does does get this show back on track Mm -hmm. um it's kind of had a rocky middle of the season for me um 
where I just started to lose interest. But I, I love how they start with Rita and she's literally stuck in a furnace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> literally. Yeah. And, but she's worried about rats. <laughs> she's worried about rats. Don't forget that. Hold on to the rat. And, the, the, yeah, remember the rat. And then you have Larry just being Larry. You have Jane, who's also working through some daddy issues mm-hmm. with the chief. And then I, I forgot about um, Cyborg and what he's dealing with in the terms of what when they went – when there he went through like Mr. Nobody land, I don't know yeah. what we want to call this anymore. Yeah. And um, he see, he, he remembers how he got to where he is now. And it all, it all was based off of him killing his mom. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot to work through that he still has in. And, and then Cliff is just, brilliant like this was a cliff episode like i loved it i love how he he he's 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 mad because um his daughter has a father um who was his best friend um and he he suddenly finds the need to do therapy with everyone and yeah. he should never be a counselor <laughs> never <laughs> Even though he was the main one calling for it, it was just, but you're just to, to, Brendan Fraser did his voice work for, for Cliff, and I can't remember the actor who does actual body work for, uh, uh, Cliff, uh, Robot Man, but it's just a tour de force as far as just everything, uh, to convey emotions in a armored Robot Man suit and the, the voice work and yeah i mean cliff should not be leading a therapy he, he has when, the best side when, manner of, of like an animal <laughs> when Vic says i killed my mom cliff is happy yeah. <laughs> like yay, yay that's what we thank you bread and butter okay we're getting somewhere now and it's like no, no, no. <laughs> Like he he just wanted more baggage from everybody, and it was yeah. like bring it, it to was me, like, bring it to me more, more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even even though at the end of the day, um, this is exactly what they needed. Mm-hmm. Like everybody, everybody's been sort of on their own journeys, not realizing that they are a team with a common goal, and yeah. how they need to understand where each other is. And yeah. and I thought that was so great. It is great, and and I know we both uh, we haven't mentioned it here on the podcast, but I know just talking offline as far as how we kind of felt the series was meandering a little bit, and uh, it was some hard episodes, especially when they. Um, but but I think the one episode that I, I, it was hard for me to get through, but I'm glad that I did, was with the original Doom Patrol, mm-hmm. and their their mental issues and, and the issue and the fact that they didn't work through them and how Mr. Nobody actually used that against them to cause that team to implode. Whereas this, uh, you know, so it, so I think one of the reasons why therapy patrol works so well, not only because of the multiple perspectives and this, the, 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 the cathartic nature of, all these characters just downloading everything um, in, in in that session, even with, even with Cliff's terrible bedside manner, 
it, it it was necessary for them to do that to basically expose their vulnerabilities to each other in order to because we because at the end of the day we we have to remember they're still they're still building themselves up as a team they're they're not there yet mm-hmm. and so showing how that team from the with not you know the failures of the other team and how Mr. Nobody was able to conquer them I think therapy patrol works because we see by them doing this and their own ass backward fighting way and uh, how Cliff is only like one sixty fourth of Jane at this point. It's <laughs> it's necessary for it to happen so that oh, they yeah. can they can grow and then become to really trust one another. Right. I so so we're giving Cliff a really hard time. I would argue that Jane has a worse bedside manner than he does. Oh yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Because he she calls it out that he'll. He'll never be a father because he isn't a real man. And mm-hmm. and that's the truth of the matter. Like you cannot be her father anymore. This that's a dream that died, literally. Yeah. Um, and, and then that's where the comment of I only like one sixty fourth of you, which which is true in yeah. a way. I mean, anytime Jane changes to another persona and Cliff Cliff tries to revert back to Jane and with which again is part of the reason why I think this episode works so well. Um, besides everything that you just you just stated, um, is really like I I love Jane and Cliff when yeah. they get at it together. They they just there's such great chemistry between those two characters and and they're both um, they both like to sit, tell it how it is. And um, I think that like there's so much good writing when they're on screen yeah it, it is it is i mean they and we see that both in therapy patrol and then later and the uh, next episode of uh um um danny danny patrol um, danny! Oh, <laughs> yeah but yeah that that relation that father daughter dynamic the the pairing that those two have and and you talk about people knowing each other's vulnerabilities and Jane to just, just drop that and just, just, just basically rip out Cliff's heart by saying that. Um, yeah, you're right. She, she definitely has the worst bedside manner as far as the, the therapy session. Um, and I, I want to go back to Vic a little bit too, because I know we haven't talked about him, him much. Uh, I was, you know, one of the things I actually, I liked his journey. I enjoyed his journey the most on therapy patrol because in that he, you know, he's, he comes to the team, the, the justice league member who is hero. And we, you know, even, even in, even in Danny patrol, Larry, like calls him out on it. You know, you're Mr. Hero. And, and so to see his backstory, as far as the feelings of responsibility for his, the, the loss of his mother and but also fast forward to uh again a good way of trying to ground the show in reality of him being a young adult and trying to do things like date and hit it was very funny like with the with the uh, I laughed I have some laugh out loud moments with the with the Tinder. Yes. App. <laughs> 
and try and, and trying to date and you know swiping through and you know when folks found out he was cyborg he had all the hangers on and you know the things that, that heroes will quote unquote have to deal with that they were trying to have a romantic life and and then but when he did find someone and then he like was like spying on her on the bus and it reminded you of it it really gave a good for me at least understanding as far as how Vic what a difficult life Vic has because he is this man machine and at the one hand he's like trying to have a normal life but on the other hand he's like literally having the ability to cyber stalk someone in a very creepy kind of way that it's just and then it's also you have this, this his father in the background who is also monitoring everything that he does and he has like no privacy or no sense of you know alone you know alone moments or whatever because of his his the way he's constructed so it you know Vic Vic has a lot of issues himself that it seems that we're just scratching the surface on well, especially what also Jane does during the therapy session is reveals her portrait that shows him killing all of the Doom Patrol members. And in a very similar way of what happened to his mom. So I, I like how they took the character who is the quote unquote normal hero. Yeah. Um, and he may he may be the one one to kill them all. He yeah. he's destined to do something that he doesn't want to, and and so I like how they put that burden on him. Um, and and they did that probably so he could work through what happened to with his mom and how he got his powers to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and 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 then really, who stole the show was the rat oh, yeah. at the end. <laughs> at um, the whiskers. <laughs> Because this is what this show does. Like I, I, you you know something is wrong with Cliff, but you don't realize is that at the very beginning of the episode, Mister Nobody, he he has one of those narrator moments and he talks, convinces this rat like, hey, um, they just killed your mom. Um, go and fuck them up. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and that's what he does. And he gets into Cliff's system and, and, and screws it all up. And it's just, it was, it was so perfect to have that end because this show, this episode was already good. And then they just elevated with two minutes of screen time to yeah. great, if not perfection. Yeah. And I was just like, that, that's beautiful. That was, that was, uh, it was totally beautiful. And I, yeah, I can't say anything more than, the, than what you just said about it. it. It's just an amazing moment, but that's what makes Doom Patrol, why we like this show so much. Yeah. And, and, and I like how Cliff and Jane get into that, that heated debate and he says the, the infamous 164th of Jane, which, which leads into the next episode with Danny, um, because while Larry and Vic are, are um, figuring out Danny and, and trying to control that situation. She, um, Cliff and, and um, Rita. Rita are off to protect Jane from another one of her identities by the name of Karen, <laughs> who is the girl from every romantic comedy that is creepy as fuck. Yep. 
<laughs> which which makes sense like yeah. there's something to be said about how these writers are utilizing all 64 personalities of Jane in a way that is telling one complete story yeah yeah like yeah. that's talk about a hard hard thing to pull off but it made complete sense why with what occurred why this personality resurfaced yeah it does it does and god it, that the karen it it any of those like creepy rom-coms that you've that you just referenced that watched it we all we have all seen them and diane guerrero places that karen character to a fault that type of um yeah character and i think you know rita was in a very interesting place trying to pull jane out because um because jane the volatile character i guess being that it is and and rita still you know working through her own issues as far as trying to find herself and her purpose uh trying to help jane with this insidious, this, this Karen who is probably, probably one of the more dangerous types of, uh, per, of the person, six, how many, like 64 personalities that, that, that Jane has. Um, it was, I, I'm glad they paired them, them off initially, uh, in showing how this was just wrong. And, you know, it was very, the, one of the things that stood out to me with, with what Rita, uh, told her, told Karen was, Will this person, uh, I can't remember the, the guys, the, the hapless love interest, will he really truly love her without the, you know, psycho powers that Karen was using to control him? I mean, take that away. Will he, will he really love you? And that was for Rita to say that because especially given where Rita's coming from and trying to find her own belonging and her own sense of, of, self and telling that to, to Karen was was very important to me in to show how insidious this character actually uh, this personality is as far as uh and dangerous how for Karen is you know Rita is a she's a character who I'm slowly figuring out um she she doesn't always get her due. Like I, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the character of Rita, but what I'm noticing is she's a very much lives up to her name and she can, she's very elastical because you pair her up with a character and suddenly you're like, that is an interesting dynamic. Like early on in the season, her and Larry got paired up a lot. Those two are great because they're so, they're, they're very much kindred spirits. Mm -hmm. They come from another decade. They come from another time. They both have self-hatred and, and being what they are now, it's even more on a forefront. All of those nasty, um, Und- undeserving of um, trying to have a normal life. Yeah. Excuse me. 
And and now with the fact that Rita gets paired up with Jane, I'm like, why why isn't there more of you two together? Because I mean, Cliff and Jane have the father die um, daughter dynamic, but Rita and Jane are like sometimes they're sisters, mm-hmm. like Rita's older sister, and sometimes it's the mother daughter, and you're just like these two also have really good. They bring out something in each other they that do. is so refreshing. Yeah. And it goes back to what we were talking about with therapy patrol in that by having all these pairings, one with each character having a episode with one another, it, it builds that sense of team. And even though they are very dysfunctional and very um, abnormal in their behavior sometimes, at the end of the day, I can see where they're building and how they're building this because they're going to need to be they, again, as I said before, they, they're going to have to trust one another so that Mr. Nobody can't turn all those things that they're like fighting through and struggling through right now against them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I like how how um, Danny mm-hmm. um, we we spent a lot of time with Vic and and Larry, who I don't think we've had that pairing before. And they also um, have. They didn't spend as much time. This was more of a Larry centric because we finally figure out, um, what's with that, um, that badge he always is looking at and Mm -hmm. it's from his past. And we realize, um, it's from the department of the Bureau of Normalcy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which I like how the Bureau is after some street. And yet they haven't stumbled upon this house where all of these weird, wacky people are living. No, (laughs) talk about unnormal. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, and it was a very, there was a lot of, um, political. Um, parallels brought up in in what the Bureau of Normalcy represented, as well as what Danny and his street, his town, whatever you want to call it, um, represents. Especially when you have you have the opening of the soldier who gets lost, and then you realize, like walking through those streets, he found a home because he can be a she, and he can. And she can live that life, um, how she wants to. And, and some great moments with Larry. I love how they, they think, they make you think he's embracing who he's always wanted to be and right. have this moment of, we, we can do this together. Um, I, yeah. I'm part of this. And, and yet he ended up not taking the mic. He, he doesn't want it. He doesn't want it. Yeah. And I, I love that scene. That was just, it was just, if it, it, again, it was that feel, you know, where's the show can get dark and, but also has that, that lightness and moment. And that was just a very empowering moment that, you know, anyone watching that, if you're feeling some feeling down about yourself or your identity or, or whatever, it, you know, da- basically Danny, the street was, a, you know, a place where, where Morris, the agent felt was able to find himself. And, and it seemed that, like you said, Larry was getting there too, but at that moment he still wasn't really able to do so until we until we had the the, the final act on, on Danny the Street where Danny was where when Morris comes out and he was like I got to go back and then of course the bureau of normalcy finds them 
and they have that that showdown in the middle of the street, and and Larry did finally take the mic. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. It, it, it's it's another um, great episode of this show. Um, I, I these two back to back. I'm so glad I waited. Um, because I actually watch them same day, almost back to back, and they they lead into each other so much that I'm I'm so glad I didn't spend a week being like, oh, I wonder what happens next. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what I'm learning about these shows. Sometimes they work better if you do um, watch two back to back because Doom Patrol has been doing this in particular where they like do story arcs mm-hmm. um, rather than one offs. Um, Titans. <laughs> like, like, let's, okay, I'm gonna go there now. So, so Titans would just do episode one, one off, episode two, one off, episode three, and it's like, where's, what's happening? And then this show, it's like, okay, like, there's, there's these two back to back, these two, it's, it's much more, um, the threads, continue into the later episodes rather than it just being a complete Mm -hmm, mm one-off. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And Therapy Patrol was kind you know, it could be viewed as a bottle show, but it really is not. You're right. If you watch Therapy Patrol and Danny the Street back-to-back, they really are a seamless, they are a continuation of one another. Right, right. Absolutely. Like, yes, because it's all located in the mansion, it's it's very much a a bottled episode, but at the same time, you don't get the character moments you get in Danny's um, Danny Patrol without that buildup. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with what happens with Jane. Yeah. Like that that just comes out of nowhere. Then, so what was the point? Yep. 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 All right. Well, I think that is it for us today. Our next. Recap comes from our May 21st, 2019 show, where we recap the season four finale of Supergirl. If you've listened to our podcast at all this year, you know that season four of Supergirl was our favorite Arrowverse show this year. Speaking about shows, investment, and and somebody, a show that had a very consistent season, Mm -hmm. Supergirl season four. It was start to finish that definitely the most consistent show of the Arrowverse was on in the 2018-2019 season. Uh, I was third. Well, I guess I was the small sliver of people who were watching this finale versus uh, Game of Thrones. But uh, as I as I told you, uh, my DMD, I was like I, I felt very satisfied with how they finished the story. Uh, obviously there's some points where they could have, I wish they had spent a little bit more time on some things, especially, uh, with, uh, how we had such a, f- a fascinating character in the first part of the season with, uh, Ben Lockwood. I-, I thought it was, his arc was a bit rushed at the end, but at the expense of Lex Luthor, but, uh, at the same time, Given that Lex was pulling the strings, and I have to give I have to give major props to, to John Cryer. I mean, Dick, it, whenever whenever we saw that D- Dickie was cast as Lex, I think there was definitely a collective like, is this going to work? And it did. He was, uh, I think, as far as signature 
portrayals of Lex Luthor, obviously Gene Hackman, uh, Michael Rosenbaum had his version of Smallville, and and this version of Lex was by John Cryer, I think definitely stands out in in, in the top three. Because uh, we also we, we've also had uh, Jamie uh, Eisenberg with uh, Justice Batman v Superman, but nah, nah. John Cryer was was a, a, a solid Lex Luthor who definitely conveyed that hate of uh, Kryptonians uh, throughout the series and was a master puppeteer this season. So it with all ultimately getting into the into the White House and and I know the show. I know some people didn't like the political slant to the season, but I think with all the things that they uh, covered this season as far as the xenophobia and yeah, it did touch a little bit on the nose as far as some of the things in the climate today. But I mean, that's to me that what makes a, a good season a good story when you can, you can touch on issues and, and still yet, and yet be entertained. And I, and I, and I thought this season was thoroughly entertaining. So even though, yeah, even though his mom had to, uh, Tell him to, to back off on the quoting of a certain maniacal <laughs> homicidal <laughs> genocidal <laughs> maniacs like Hitler, but yeah. uh, but yeah. but that but that was good because again it, it gave the this, this show some heft and, and weight that the other shows this season quite frankly lacked. Lindsay, do you watch Supergirl? No, all all I know of it is what I've heard you guys talk about. So okay. Right. <laughs> For some reason, I felt like I saw a DM where you were like, yeah, I'll even watch Supergirl. <laughs> oh, no, no, sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. It's, it's, a, it's a hard show. I even gave up on the first season, and it took me a while to get back in. I, I gave up on the third season, too. I'm, I'm surprised how much I really like season four, um, and that's because it feels complete. Something that they did was – you initially invest a lot of the arc into Ben Lockwood and building up that character. And then you're, you're told, well, John Cryer is going to come in and play Lex Luthor for just a small arc. I didn't realize how large the arc was. Yeah. <laughs> and it, and it was because like they really wanted to say, no, 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 no. Leading up to the finale, the, Lex Luthor has been, a, um, been pulling the strings on everyone the entire time. And we're going to remind you of this and make sure you really understand how, how much he threaded this quilt of everything that has happened over the last year. And then during the finale, we're going to remind you Supergirl is the cousin of Superman and Lex Luthor is arch and Arch enemy is Superman. So yes, this may be Supergirl the show, but Lex Luthor, make no mistake, is really out to just kill Superman. Yeah. And <laughs> which, whole, which yeah. was so, I thought was clever. It, I do not find it to undermine Supergirl herself because he does a great setup in making sure next season we do get the showdown between Lena and Kara. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you make a good point that it did not undermine undermine Supergirl at all, and I think, and I think they did it right by 
having the threads, we, we saw him come on, I guess, around shortly after the midseason hiatus, and he was in a few episodes. He, you know, uses Lena's uh, tech to give him to give himself superpowers after his mother poisoned him so that he would come down with uh, some form of cancer, and he is strengthened, and then he's he's pretty much he goes away. But all the while, all the things that he set in motion continue to move forward. And, and when it, when we get to the, to the climax in this, uh, in the season finale, it, and to your point, how he just hates Superman and hates Kryptonians and, and the betrayal, for example, of the red daughter who was the clone of, of Kara and just how she, was was used by Lex to to achieve this end of making Supergirl public enemy number one and elevating Ben Lockwood to from this obscure college professor to this leader of this movement to basically get him to basically harvest the aliens so that he could power this machine to kill Superman. I mean that was a very clever clever uh, bit of storytelling that they did this season. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was very clever. I thought it was very strategic and it, it allowed me to not feel like they wasted time in the beginning of this season. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like it just kept building on one thing after the other. Yeah. It felt yeah. like it was expanding as opposed to just saying, Oh, you thought we were heading here. We're going to make a major left turn and actually go in this direction, which makes no sense. Exactly. Exactly. There, every, I, 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 it, it really reached a point this season with, with this, with the Arrowverse where I really was, got to the place where I was looking forward to Supergirl more so than the other two, other shows. Because yeah. they, they really, for the first time I felt like I felt fully invested in this character where, whereas before I did not. And, and and in the show because they just had a very very solid way of just telling the story and and utilizing the head fake with the bit bad arrow did that to some degree but they I think the the writers rooms for all these shows going forward and with the new one with with Batwoman which you know get into our earlier conversations another show place where people are already like calling it for it to be canceled before it even gets on the air. Um, it um, really gets, you know, I think really shows how you can do a really solid storytelling within the constructs and, and confines of the, the CW model. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I'm hopeful that uh, the other, other teams look at what Supergirl accomplished this season as they, as they move forward, especially, yeah. especially with the upcoming crisis and how this whole, universe is going to be shaken up uh, because of the uh, crisis of infinite earth crossover. Yeah. And the monitor even shows up in this episode at the end and yeah. releases John's brother. Mm-hmm. Um, because and the one thing this, this finale did kind of wear me out on was yeah, you end it with the Lena setup. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I mean, because we just got done talking about Thrones, what is with this tendency to let the person who's dying handcuffed just talk 
and and <laughs> plant all of these ideas. It's like seriously, guys. And I mean, Daenerys, she gets stabbed, she's out. <laughs> Lex gets shot twice. He can talk for another like three minutes. Yeah. What the heck? I don't yeah. I don't understand it. And so you get that ending, and then you get the worst advice that Alex has ever given Kara. Let's let's just have her have tonight. You know, Lena has been through a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the worst sisterly advice she has ever given okay yeah yeah i guess she's still a little foggy you know given that her memories of Kara being supergirl were taken from her maybe yeah, she's in love she's not really thinking about Kara right yeah, now that's true. She finally, yeah she finally she's finally felt, felt falling in love again so yeah happy for her yeah and then you get the monitor releasing john's John's brother, who I don't remember him having, but I'm sure they told you in an episode that I didn't watch. And but it's significant. And then you get the monitor confronting Lex. We don't know where it ends. It just ends. That's like, oh, no, no, no. I forgot about one. Yes. See, this is how many like let set up season five. They crammed into this episode. And that's the point where I was just like, what are you doing? What what is happening here? <laughs> there is no I don't want another ending. I don't want another tease. Like then they put in the Leviathan. I'm like, Jesus Christ, you guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That that is they did this typical setup of of season five and obviously setting up everything for the mod, for uh crisis and uh, even though I don't watch Legends of Tomorrow I'll, I'll definitely have to at least watch the uh the setup for for uh for crisis from from that show but uh it's it's like the writers watched Arrow and Flash and were like well they ended this season and they teased crisis so we have to double what both of those shows did. Yeah. <laughs> it was weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, but yeah, but I would I would have to give this I I would have to give the season of Supergirl a, 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 um, a minus B plus um, over four. If I if you were asking me to give give it a grade, it, it really I think had the the, the, the after. The melodrama and everything from last season's ending, it, it definitely had the, uh, it, it managed to survive the Arrowverse curse. Okay. Okay. So first of all, the melodrama, the show got ruined the moment Chris Wood left. Okay. Those two have great <laughs> chemistry, hence why they're engaged to be married in real life. Okay. Just saying. <laughs> I know they ended her first marriage, but still. also really this show is amazing because just just find the scene online but there is a scene in the season where you have sam whitwer yes the sam whitwer playing brainy playing lockwood lock lockwood enough said brilliant should be shown in acting class definitely definitely Lindsay, you should just check that out just just so you can see what we're talking about Okay, that that's that will be on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam, what we're playing, Brainy as Lockwood. It's just <laughs> like he must have had so much fun that day. Yeah. <laughs> this is perfect. I love it so much. Our next recap comes from our June seventeenth show, which, safe to say, was one of our both of our favorites this year. Krypton season two. 
Sadly, Krypton was canceled after this past season. But here is our recap of the season two premiere for the show. I mean, why more people need to watch this show because it's good. It's good. good. Yeah, yeah. And I forgot about it. Like, I... I am surprised that I didn't go back, rewatch any of the first season episodes, and I was kind of getting anxious. I was like, is this going to be a bad idea to go into season two, episode one? And in, like, the first 15 minutes, I spent a lot of time, like, wondering to myself, what the heck are they talking about? (laughs) They they use... They've created an entire culture, and we're just going to jump into Krypton Talk. I'm sorry. I can't help it. Yeah, let's do it. I, I, I'm, yeah. It's Will's fault. He's like, let's talk Krypton. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I am the producer, so. <laughs> well, they they take they they've created a Krypton as being a culture, a basically a world. So there's a lot of lingo that you have to refamiliarize yourself with. So I spent a, like that first 15 minutes just being a bit lost in translation and then slowly things got placed back together. And then the moment when, spoiler alert, Seg and Adam reunite, mm-hmm. that, that their chemistry makes this show for me. Yeah. I just love those two characters. Like, and I forgot like how much they're good because even in season one, they didn't have a lot of on-screen time together because there was a lot of angst going on with some secrets and revelations. But in this episode, it's just like, no, these are your, this is your buddy cop. Like these two people who in any other timeline would never be placed together are, are all of a sudden like dependent on one another and they, they just bounce really well off of each other. Yeah. Yeah. They, I'm so glad you brought their relationship up because they truly are the heart of the show. Mm-hmm. It's their, their relationship. And for I, and I, like you, I, I intended on watching, rewatching season one to the, to refresh my memory as far as what happened. I mean, I definitely, obviously, I remember the end clearly as far as Seg getting placed into the uh, Phantom Zone to, uh, by, by Val, Valel, his, um, his grandfather. And, and so I remember the basics of what happened with Seg and Brainiac's showdown at the end of the first season. You know, there were a lot of other Plot points like, for example, Vorax, yes, the son of Seg and Nissa. Mm-hmm. I, I had forgotten about that, uh, that they had that child and also the fact that Nissa was, uh, was a clone. So there were some things that during the episode, whenever they were dropping di- lines of dialogue, things started coming back to me. But what I really liked about this show is it had a six month time jump. It, and I think some of the complaints about the first season was it took a while to build the world with this, with with season two, it jumps right into the action. Right. And we, we, we don't have a lot of, a lot of just general exposition. We, we really have a lot of energy out of the gate in, in this first episode. Right. You, you know, it, it's funny because you, it, it caught me off guard how much you, we got placed right in the middle of action. Like for us, it's been six months, but for these cl- characters, clearly not. I mean, 
they purposely in the last season took Adam out of the picture so that we could see this pilot through his eyes as he's just returning to Krypton in the past, having already visited the future of Earth, which I mean, I I immediately picked on the whole Nissa kid clone thing. I forgot what they did with Adam. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. and even the way they played it off, it made it seem like, oh, he was just going off and doing some rogue mission. Oh, that's right. Remember that time when he ended up on Earth again with a completely different future? Yeah. 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 We get. Yeah. Baniac had conquered the Earth and Detroit is instead of the. uh we had the symbol of Zod, Drew Zod, in the middle of the town square, you know, kneel to Zod. <laughs> right. It, right. It's yeah. not that Berniak conquered the Earth. Zod first took over, and then something happened where right. Berniak bottled up the Earth and right. added it on his whatever you want to call it, his his He's gauntlet. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Crossing universes. <laughs> what What were your thoughts on? Because, and I was worried about this. I really was. Another thing that caught me off guard was they did not spend an episode. They did not spend two episodes with Seg just being stuck in the Phantom Zone. Mm-hmm. They spent about 20 minutes, yep. and I'm pretty sure that's all I ever needed, and I'm really glad they did that, not because it wasn't interesting, but because Seg is such a big part of it. Like, it's the main character. Yeah. You can only go so long without him, and they kind of scapegoated it because it's not that they immediately put him back on Krypton. Nope. But they they maneuvered him out of that area. But just before we touch on that, visiting Brainiac's home planet, what are your thoughts on the way they made the Phantom Zone appear? You know, that is a good question. We see various iterations of the Phantom Zone. It was the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. The Phantom Zone was this basically large pl- uh, we we weren't in it, but we saw Zod and the other two criminals caught in the Phantom Zone in a basically like crystal shield that was twir- twirling through space. And then I think in Man of Steel, when uh, Zod was captured in it, um, it was his big the big device sucking him up in it. So this is our first time in it, mm-hmm. and and it was. Visually, I, I, I thought, uh, honestly, I thought, man, they gotta, gotta increase in the budget for season two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it, but it was otherworldly. I thought, I think they did a good job of conveying that it is a dimension outside of normal space time. And, but I, but I agree with your point that I'm glad they did not belabor Seg being in the Phantom Zone for you know, longer than than absolutely necessary because we know he's been in there and they don't really need to spend any more screen time with him being in there. It, right. it in the in the the time that they showed him during the first episode of season two, it conveyed basically what he's been experiencing the last six months. Mm. I I really liked the the speed 
of Phantom Zone. Like, not just, like, hearsay is, they get out, whatever, but they're the, the constant movement in that area, which, to your point, it really highlights that this is outside of natural space and time. And, and now the question is, did the writers just give away the ending of season two? I mean, what I understood is that moment when Seg is standing there and he sees Elida and he sees Zod strangling her. Is that how this season is going to end? Because Brainiac, I believe, is the one who alludes that that's a vision of the future. He did. He did. And also, Zod, I thought you were smart. Doesn't she need to be alive to have you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's our it's our flash paradoxes. Here we go. <laughs> I mean, did you not watch Back to the Future while you were on Earth? I mean, come on, it's a classic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, they did have their Marty McFly moment last season, where they they did. Uh, have the the cape, Superman's cape, mm-hmm. do the Marty McFly, and then of course it regenerated itself whenever they set us quote the timeline, I guess, reset the uh, well, timeline, and then well, it the, I mean, became the flag of uh, of Zod. So, um, I, you know, time travel always gives me a headache. Well, I mean, to your point, like clearly the writers are big fans of that f- particular franchise because this is just another thing that they're introducing. Like they're not going to have the cape this season, but this premonition or foreshadowing of events to come and the time paradox that could occur. I mean, I would be curious to know if the writers if they're doing that on purpose. And so every season you should be on the lookout for a reference to something back to the future related. Yeah, I I think they are. And I think, but also I think this is a very intentional thing to basically use those old time travel tropes that we've seen in other, other shows and basically, you know, given that this is a prequel, and we 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 as the viewer know what is to come as far as Seg basically having uh Jor-El and then of course Jor-El having Kal-El. So all that has been turned upside down in this show now. Because for example, with with Nissa having Vorex, is he somehow is he going to be rechristened Jor-El at some point or is, is Nissa and Seg going to have Jor-El, or will Seg and Lythazad being Jor-El's mother? I mean, there's just so many ways that they, they that this, this, these arcs can go. And I think what right. I like about this show is that okay, we, we given that we know what the what what our future is supposed to be, and especially in, 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 in this universe, Adam Strange is the person who is the who is the knower of that. I love, you know, again, we don't know. I mean, you're right. That vision that Seg saw in the Phantom Zone could be, could be the outcome that will come to pass, mm-hmm. but it could be, it could be something completely else. Right. I, you know, another thing that confounded me was all of this 
grandfather, grandson, grand, great grandfather stuff that they keep throwing out there because I got confused. <laughs> At one point, I seriously wanted to pause the show and sketch out a family tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I'll be honest, I don't really know who, like the the chain, the the birth chain, the birth order of what leads us to the end product of of Kal-El. Okay. I don't I don't know that. However, it gets really confusing when you have a child, a literal baby, a newborn, mm-hmm. referred to by a giant older man as, "Oh, he's my great grandfather. He belongs with me." Creepy, first yeah. of all. Very, very <laughs> creepy. No, 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 no. Um, and also, how many greats did you add to that? Because um, later on in the episode, I believe Adam refers to Kal-El almost as, as Seg's grandson. And I'm like, wait a that's second. Correct. That, that's correct. Okay, so... So did did Zod mess up? I mean, is him being in the past messing with his head or something? Because I could have sworn he referred to the child as his great great grandfather. Um. So uh, let's see. So let, let's just get the the L timeline first, as far as family family tree. So Valel is okay. Kyle Superman's great great grandfather. Then. Seg is Valel's daughter married Seg's father. And then Seg is Valel's grandson. Right. And then Jorel is Seg's son. Okay. And then Kalel is who Superman is Seg's grandson. So yeah, okay. so Valel is Kalel's great great grandfather. Right, I understand that. Yeah. But then why did why did Zod refer to Vorex as being related to Zod when in this reality yeah. Zod and who is who's um So Drew Zod and Seg are I mean Drew Zod is Seg and Lithazod's son. Right. Right. So the half brother So uh, half yeah. Right. Half brother of Vorex. Yeah. yeah. Still, I stand by this statement until the listener like proves me wrong. I could have sworn he said great great grandfather. So, yeah. you know, Vorex technically is a kid. It's a child. We protect children. However, it's he's he's unrelated in this family <laughs> drama. <laughs> right. Right. Well. well. Well, I know about, well, I guess it's Drew Zod was going to adopt him if Nissa didn't follow his orders to basically try to root out the rest of the resistance. He was basically. The future. Right. Will, he yeah. really should not be adopting anyone. Yeah, he should not be. He's, he's definitely, yeah, we're definitely into the Avengers in-game timelines here now. <laughs> Oh man. Um let's let's jump to another ba- bad guy who we saw a lot of and I will be honest with you when when they introduced Brainiac in the later half of season 1 he he was creepy like it was his presence that was very oh this is somebody we have to be fearful of and I didn't really understand his character until this episode, because mm. that exchange between him and Seg 
it's just just underneath my favorite moment of the show beyond um and and right above it is the Adam and Seg scenes, but right below it is that whole exchange between Brainiac and Seg and you need me, I need you, so let's do this, even though we're gonna in always end up fighting each other. I don't think he's dead. No, I don't either. I don't either. I don't buy that for one second. No, <laughs> and either, I think Adam either. is foolish for believing that. <laughs> <laughs> either Brainiac has created like a Brainiac shadow or something of himself that, that actually came out of the Phantom Zone with SAG or somehow, some ways Brainiac is, is alive. And we'll, we'll, we'll probably see if not next episode, the third episode where he is, he is back on the, back on the stage and, and, and a major player of events in, in this upcoming season. And Brainiac already alluded to how irrational SAG, SAG's state of mind is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess to an extent it would make sense that Seg would convince himself that, yes, I defeated Brainiac, we can move forward, and I have to find a way to make it back to my friends and family. Yeah, yeah. Because another thing I thought, uh, uh, whenever that scene, when I came upon that scene of, of Seg bludgeoned Brainiac to death, I mean, Brainiac, from what I recall, he has, one, he's technologically advanced too he just has so many tricks up his sleeve it's to your point given seg's compromised mental state it it very well could be a you know brainiac could have done use use some trick whether it's uh mental uh projection even to the point where adam is believing what seg is seeing in his mind Mm -hmm. um of, of him beating Brainiac, uh, to death, um, uh, left a clone of himself or something there. I mean, it could be any number of things. I, I mean, I, I like, I, I like the idea that it is Brainiac taking advantage of Seg's mental state and maybe projecting this image of what Seg thinks he did. Cause you know, whenever Seg, right before they went to the commercial breaks, they let's, let's get this on and they started the fight. Um, yeah, that to me uh, does lend some credence to him taking advantage of Seg's mental state and being able to uh, make him think that he defeated him. But um, that, that that I mean that was that was definitely one of the whenever they were out of the Phantom Zone and Uncolu, that was definitely one of my favorite scenes of this episode as well. Why do you think the writers chose to have them end up on Brainiac's home planet? Out of all the places that they could have gone, gone to, why there? Um, I think it, it gives us some greater depth as far as Brainiac's character, because mm-hmm. I mean, because uh, they touch on the fact that Brainiac's people were very violent and they had wars and and gives. I guess motivations for, for why Brainiac does what he, what he does. Um, and so, and then also just for convenience for, for Brainiac. Um, if he, if he does indeed need to go home to, to rehatch his scheme of basically being a world collector, uh, you know, obviously all the tools and things that he needs are, are there on, on his own planet. 
Um, I'm I'm going to show my ignorance to this um, whole comic book situation. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Brainy and Brainiac, mm-hmm. they're technically related. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Our Brain, Brainiac 5 from Supergirl is also from Kolu. Okay. And, and, and if you recall, and I actually, I, when I was watching the episode, I yep. couldn't help but mm-hmm. think back to uh, Brainiac 5's mm-hmm. t- scenes in the latter half of Supergirl season whenever uh, he was captured by the, the Children of Liberty. Yep, it's, and, it's the second to the last episode of yep, the season. Yep, and how he alludes to his planet's violent and xenophobic past. Yeah, like uh, my mind immediately went there the moment we got the monologue from Brainiac in this episode, and I was like, okay, I, I now I just want to cross over, but oh well, we'll never get that. <laughs> but we won't, we won't. But it, but again. As we talked about with the first season, how this show helps us appreciate Supergirl even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, it 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 does show the 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 wider wider universe and how how this show could easily uh, be related to the Arrowverse. Well, I mean, it might already be creating its own Superman verse, considering even bef- either right after this episode aired or leading up to it. There was speculation that we might be getting a Lobo spin-off series. And so, I mean, the moment they ended up on that planet, I I was like, oh, Lobo's around. And then we saw the douchebag warning alert go off. Um, (laughs) I think it was something else, but Will doesn't like it when I curse on this show. Oh, I don't mind. Go ahead. Um. I, I honestly can't remember what it was. <laughs> oh, you set it up. Like, uh. um, but I was just waiting for it. And um, he, if if they make a spinoff show, I won't be surprised because that, that character has got some charisma. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was skeptical at first when I first saw the, the news report that uh, they were considering a spin-off show, but seeing Lobo in action, in live action, yeah, this dude could carry, he could carry a show. He could carry a show because for folks, many of folks are, I'm sure our listeners are familiar with Lobo and, and his history as far as being a mercenary, but, uh, just to remind, uh, some, some people who may not be. So originally Lobo was, was created uh, as a murderous villain in the Superman universe, and then he became kind of an anti-hero. And also, he was also created to sort of poke fun of uh, Wolverine, a Punisher, and some of the Marvel characters who have similar traits. So, And that was on full display in this episode <laughs> as far as like the Merc with the mouth attitude of a Deadpool, the the. the the, the, the savage, the physical savagery of Wolverine and the swagger of the Punisher. Um, this may be a reference that Will does not understand. Um, but anybody who's watched Once Upon a Time, I would compare this entrance to the entrance of Hook season two on Once Upon a Time. Um, because of that damn accent. I'm oh. a sucker. I'm a sucker for a character with an accent like that. I'm just like, yep, you keep keep saying dialogue. <laughs> I've been listening all day. <laughs> there's 
And and you say the swag of the Punisher? Uh-uh. No, no, no. Because the Punisher is like is like stealth and and there's it's not a clumsiness about it. Mm-hmm. Like there's intention, but yeah. there's also not everything has to be perfect, which Punisher very much I think because of the um war background, everything does have to be uniform. There's a bit of OCD in yeah. that character. Sure. But with with this character, it is just natural swagger. I, I don't, I don't know. And the same swagger as Hook season two on Once Upon a Time. Oh. I'll take your word for it. I haven't seen it once. <laughs> I know a lot of people watch that show, but I wasn't one of them. <laughs> I, I, I watched because I found out how big of an entrance that character had and I was real curious. Mm-hmm. And then I got suckered into it and then I drifted off during the last few seasons. But you know, for a good chunk of it, I was, I was right there watching every week. Yeah. Um, you know, before we move on from this, from this talking Krypton, I do want to bring up one thing that I thought was again, and I keep going back to this, but truly I feel like this episode, this kickoff of season two, like in, in a nutshell, just caught me off guard. And w- this last bit that really did catch me off guard was how much how much effort was put in in really making us understand that I think for this season Lyda and Nyssa have really role reversed Mm. because last season Nyssa and her father they were conniving they were they were playing the political game Mm -hmm. well well Zod and Lyda have won that game However, Lyda also has ties to the resistance and she's still like you see it in her eyes and shout shout out to the actress. She did a good job in this episode where she was she was really cold, but you could still tell in her eyes that there was a moral conflict within her about everything she was doing for her and for her son and for her people. And Nissa at the same time has gone into and fully joined the resistance and, and really wanting to take care of her son, wanting to find Seg and wanting to move forward. But at the same time, she keeps getting sucked back because of her past, because of finding out that you're a clone. Well, well, what does that mean? Like what kind of processing do you have to go through to fully understand? Like you're not the original, but you're still you and, and so I, I think that there was a lot of intention in making it very clear that there's there's been a role reversal though between those two characters. Yeah, yeah. That that definitely was the case there. And you know, thinking about Nissa and her trying to find herself and, and find her new role in, in, in this, this this world that has been built. Uh but the moment when when Lyta killed Nissa's father, when he was about to tell her the truth, uh, was a really, a real evolutionary moment for, for both characters, mm-hmm. uh, as far as just fleshing them out and, and, and getting to the point that you made about, uh, the role reversal this season. And, and, and then Lyta's, you know, comment to her about basically, you know, he was just gonna, he was just spend a bunch of lies to you, as I'm paraphrasing, but, uh, that was, you know, those type of reactions would have been something we would have seen 
probably flipped in season one. And so I think that definitely shows some role reversal. Also, there's some growth in these characters as far as giving them something more to do and, and sort of help drive the narrative for, for this season. Uh, with, with Lyta in particular and seeing her know that her role now is to basically you know, basically work with Druzod and, and, and build this new Krypton. And the Krypton that we, that Druzod is building is pretty much the one that we, we, we encounter when we first are introduced to Kal-El and Jor-El and, and when Man is Still. I mean, this is how that movie and the show together. She is that, that key lieutenant that he, that he is using. She knows, she, she still sees the, the resistance and the, and the role that she, that they played and in, in season one. But I think now she is very convinced that what her son is doing is the right thing to ultimately save this world. And so she's going to do what is necessary to help him do that, do that mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, they spent a lot of the first season really focusing on the, the duty part of the house of Zod and how that family line they're because they're the military for Krypton duty above all else duty right. for the country duty uh, for even above your family so i think that because they spent that that season focusing on that aspect it didn't make me i wasn't surprised as to how how Lyda came off in this first episode, mm-hmm. because I felt like if she was part of the resistance, that actually would probably not make as much sense considering what house she belongs to. Right, right, right. And and we had those scenes last season with her working with the resistance and realizing, you know, with Jaina, her, Jaina saw her mother always questioning duty and, and to your point, how important duty is. And so, yeah, it's just, it's just a natural outgrowth of, of what we've seen before. And she's basically playing that role that she is destined to play. Yeah. So, so again, like I'm, I'm glad the show's back. I'm yeah. glad that I'm, I'm even glad that cause last, last year, I feel like Krypton came out. And then when it was starting to wrap up, Cloak and Dagger comes out. Mm-hmm. And I know a few weeks ago we were complaining because we were like, man, Cloak and Dagger is done. What are we going to watch? And yeah. Krypton swoops in and saves our yes, summer. It does. <laughs> <laughs> it does. I'll, yeah. Yeah. It definitely saves our summer. I queried Sarah via DM. Are you watching a particular show? She's like, nope, I'm not even planning to. So I'm glad that Krypton so far is is uh, helping us uh, start the summer off well. One new addition to our podcast is our collaboration with the over at Geek Vibes Nation. Our first project that we did with them was an interview with Sean Sipos, who played Adam Strange on the show Krypton. Listen to our July 31st interview with the team from Geek Vibes Nation. And you can find our podcast on their site. Sean? 
Yeah. Hey, how are you? You're on with uh, me, Juwan, and my co-host, Will. So I- I'm going to start off by asking you, obviously, Krypton has been a huge success. Huge, huge, huge success. Congrats on that. Um, the biggest question I wanted to start off with um, is shows like Krypton and Gotham, which both are building blocks for the future of the heroes we know them uh, to be, what would you say is the importance of a show like Krypton to the mythology of Superman? Well, it's the genesis of it, isn't it? I mean, yeah. When you inevitably, when you look at mythology and you look at any of the heroes, the question is, where did they come from? What made them a hero? Um, we're fascinated with why they're heroes. Um, so inevitably, we just look to their beginnings. And this is, you know, I don't know anyone that doesn't know who Superman is. So for for me personally, and I and and I think for everyone else, um, it's a big show because it shows what we've all been curious about, which is what was Krypton really like, what happened, um, what is the tree that Superman fell from, and um, I think there's also a whole lot of, of of what ifs, what would happen if, what would happen if Krypton didn't explode, what would happen if, you know, Zod took over, what would happen if Superman didn't exist, what would happen if Superman's grandfather was the one who got the yellow sun? You know, all these all these pertinent questions I think are fascinating and I think really are springboards for the imagination. And, you know, with Krypton in particular with this show, I think we have kind of erased uh, what people thought the show was going to be. Um, at this point in time, we have a completely separate timeline. We're no longer uh, beholden to the comics um, as we know them now. So we can go anywhere. And I yeah, think that's it, fascinating. We've taken the tree that Superman comes from and we've made it blossom, whereas in the comics, it died. Right, right. Hey, Sean, this is Will. Thanks again for, for your time. And I wanted to pick up on your point with the the genesis of this, and in particular your character, Adam Strange. How do you think your character's art fits into this Kryptonian world, especially given that it's freed from the pages of the comics with, with how the timeline has been altered? That's a tough question to answer. It's a good question. Well, from a story standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, he's a character who can go anywhere. Um, and, uh, you know, in the comics, I haven't read every single Adam Strange comic, but to my knowledge, I don't believe in the comics he could time travel. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in terms of him fitting in, <clears throat> I think it fit, I think he fits in incredibly well because – his journey, his beginnings uh, before he's the hero that we know, which is the hero of Ran, um, his, he's just at the start of it. So he's trying to fill those shoes. The same that Seg is trying to fill those shoes. And um, I don't know how big of a, of, of a hero Seg became in the comics. Um, versus how big of a hero he's becoming on the show. 
he's becoming – I personally think that Seg has uh, qualities that exceed Superman because he's doing what he's doing without super strength. Um, so if you stuck Seg in front of a yellow sun, I think he would be a better hero than Superman possibly. Um, and then, you know, with Adam, I just, I think that Adam Strange and Superman have gone hand in hand in the comics for a long time. What I enjoy so much about Krypton is that, uh, me and Will were saying before, is that um, I believe Seg in the comics was something that they very loosely touched on. Uh, like the, the world that he was in, uh, they really focused on uh, Superman's father and then, of course, Superman. Those were the two biggest focuses um, surrounding yeah. Krypton. So what I love about this show is that they get that, so they use the freedom. Um, and, and that's how you see so many cool uh, cool new and, and different aspects of Krypton that say something like Man of Steel didn't really give you because it focused on, like, the last few minutes of Krypton before it was destroyed. So, you know... Yeah, and by the way, that last few minutes of Krypton was pretty fascinating. Oh, 100%. But see, that's what made me interested in this show because that world looked amazing. So I was like, Mm -hmm. what if we could ever see more of this world? And then, lo and behold, we have the show. My, My question to you is, with this show doing new and inventive things because they have the freedom, would it be far-fetched for us to say that there could be a possibility, like we saw Zod coming, could there be a possibility we see them uh, go get Superman? Or do, do you feel as though this show is trying to focus around not needing the idea of Superman because it's building the legacy? I mean, it's we've seen Superman. Um, so I think the more interesting thing is uh, uh, seeing what it's like without him, and then eventually, you know. I, again, I'm not I'm not Cameron Welsh, I'm not David Goyer, so I'm not the one sitting in the rooms making uh, the decisions. And um, you know, frankly, their minds are are extravagantly wonderful. But uh, I would think that Superman would come into the show at some point. At a crescendo, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of it being this season or next season, I don't think so. But eventually, right? You're going to show the the big the big Kahuna there. But in terms of in terms of uh, um, whether or not we need Superman, I I I think it's more interesting without it. I think what if what if Seg um, got, you know, became Superman in a sense, right? What if he came, what if I brought him to earth and he got the yellow sun? Mm. What if, yeah, I love that somewhere. What if, what if there was like a bad version? What if Jor-El turned into a bad version? Right. Right. We, we know right. that Brainiac just intellect later. If he's raised by a 12th level intellect, what mm. are his morals? Could he be a bad Superman type of figure? And then would Seg have to then, I you know, I could put two and two together. Adam knows. So I could go, hey, uh, the only way to take this guy down is you have to come to Earth for a bit. And we're going to get you, you know, all yellow sunned up with radiation. So, and then you're going to have to take this guy down, your son. 
so those are those are fascinating um, situations to have. In terms of sticking just Superman in there, I, I think Superman's so familiar, and um, and those are massive boots to fill as well. I mean, who do you get to play him? And that those are massive shoes issues to fill. And one of the things that um, getting back into uh, you're talking about SAG and and Adam and uh, their relationship and if they if Superman were to be bad and you had to pair them up, one of our favorite relationships on on the Cena Nerd podcast this year has been uh, the relationship between and actually even in season one the relationship between Adam and Seg and with three episodes mm-hmm. left in this season I know Adam has been dispatched to Wegthor here and has. A, a new budding relationship with Kim, which is fascinating in of itself to see how that grows, especially this last episode and uh, Adam be feeling kind of left out whenever he wasn't picked by Val to lead the army. But will we get to see yeah. more of Seg and, Seg and Adam's uh, interplay, which was really uh, kicked off uh, in a very comedic, almost buddy cop kind of dynamic uh, in the first two episodes yeah. of the season? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll be seeing more of them. I think they're. I think that that relationship is integral to the show. Um, you know, I'm. I'm. I feel so blessed to be able to work with someone like Cameron. Um, not only because I think he's a terrific actor, and I think he's just a, a phenomenal man. Um, but that we have such great chemistry as well, and a lot mm-hmm. of those moments. Uh, have butted from have butted from improv mm. and just spontaneous happenings on set and things in scenes that we would do and um you know and I think Cameron Welsh picked up on that and uh and the writers and they they wrote for it and it's not surprising to me that it's become a a you know a fan favorite I enjoy seeing it um, and other people, a lot of people are very vocal about it, uh, that they enjoy it. And, you know, I think that they bring out the best in one another as well. Speaking of, speaking of that relationship and, uh, we saw a, a wild card thrown into that relationship earlier this season with, with Lobo. And, uh, yeah. one of the things we, uh, one of the things we want to know is, will we see, will you, do you think Adam and, and Lobo's paths will cross again, either, on here on this series or a possible spinoff? Yes. I'm going to say yes and yes. Okay. I'm going to answer yes to both of those. Um, that as well, you know, it's an, it's a really cool, uh, it's a really cool thing. This show in the entertainment business, you have things called chemistry reads to make sure that people have chemistry because mm-hmm. it's, it's like an elusive quality. There's no rhyme or reason, really. Some people have it together, some people don't. And they can be terrific actors and not work well together. Right. Um, and it's, it's like this, this, wonderful, um, this wonderful supernova of, of events that has happened that everyone on this show seems to have chemistry with everyone. Mm-hmm. It's mind-blowing. Like I've, I've thought about it and gone, people do tests for this like they bring you in and they go let's match these people up and see if they have chemistry and none of us got matched up prior to the show none of us had even met until we were filming and everyone just seems to have this chemistry which jumps off the screen which is 
I think it's, I just think it's super, super fortunate and, um, and just bloody awesome to be frank. Right, right. Because I understand as far as the filming of the show, you all are, I think the first season, you were you in Ireland or is it this season as well? Yeah, we're in Ireland. We we film up in Belfast. So okay. we were there the first season and the second season and, you know, uh, God willing, the third. Yeah, so uh, what can you tell us about a, a third season? Uh, is it, do you, are you hearing good things back from the network or is it uh, – Still up in the air. I know. I know Cameron was uh, at San Diego Comic Con and did the uh, did a lot of interviews there. But um, what what what, yeah. what what do you know from sci-fi? Anything as far as we haven't third? yet. Um, but I think this is sort of uh, this is sort of what networks do is they they like to uh, <laughs> leave you in wait <laughs> and. Uh, and cause you some anxiety with this sort of thing. Right. Um, we're perfectly fine. It's a lesson in patience, and and that's that's all groovy. But you know, from my standpoint, I I would think that it's an important show. I think it's one of the best science fiction shows on television. Um, and also, I think it's a wonderful platform to jump off and create um, a universe. Right. Right. Uh, for, you know. I think that there's a fuck ton of potential with it um, in terms of that. I think there's a hell of a lot of potential. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if I was, if I, you know, I'm not an exec, but if I was, I would, I would opt in favor of going, yeah, I see the big picture. And, you know, hopefully they do. Right, right. Speaking of which, I mean, I understand from Cameron's interview at San Diego Comic Con, he said that we're expecting some some big things in the finale, and but mm-hmm. and I'm sure I'm sure Adam is very integral to that. Of course, mm-hmm. one of those things is out of the outgrowth of that. Will we see the jetpack? <laughs> I, you know, I get this question so much. <laughs> I'm sure you uh, do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I've been authorized to be able to say yes because I couldn't awesome. say it before. I was I was uh, my hands were tied with a confidentiality agreement. So um, we will see it this season. Hmm. Um, yeah, and we you know and that's just the beginning. I like to think of it as kind of like Iron Man, right? right. The beginning of Iron. Like he builds a suit, um, but it's the beginning stages of the suit, and then you get and then you get into it. Um, so I think that they're doing a very smart thing, which is um, they've taken their time and built up, you know, the 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 building blocks of Adam, and then, mm-hmm. you know, by the end of the season, we're gonna we're gonna get into the jet kind of stuff. Awesome, awesome. That I'm sure our fans and fans of the show are. are We'll be jumping for joy to hear that. I know uh, uh, I see many fans like always put that question out there. So thanks for for confirming that. Yeah, and, yeah. DC just let you know just announced. I don't know if you saw, but they just announced the big Adam Strange comic series. Oh, cool. That they're doing I had, with. Uh, I had I had not I had not seen that, but uh, I will definitely be on the lookout for it because, uh, as I said, this is a show uh, as I was telling Joanne earlier, it uh, has 
given me a, a greater appreciation of the Superman universe. And I have to ask you, I read uh, before, I think in one of your sci-fi interviews, you had mentioned that you were, you're, you're a, a Batman fan and has working on this show and, and being a part of the Superman mythos sort of has, has swung you over to Superman or are you still, still with the bat? Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've always been a Superman fan as well. I just think that there, for me growing up, I think because Batman was just a man, mm-hmm. uh, there was something that, that appealed to that for me. Um, and I think also that's what I find really appealing about Adam. He's just a man. Right. He doesn't have superpowers. So, And also that's what really appeals to me about Seg. It's not that he's just a man, but that he doesn't have this super strength. So it's about the hero within. Um and once you grow the hero within and then you add on these other things, right? You add on mm-hmm. the suit or you stick Seg in front of a yellow sun. Then you get something that's really interesting because now you have a hero and then you ha- you've given him these incredible weapons to wield uh, to protect people. And then obviously you add insane villains for them to battle and fight as they grow. Um but yeah, in terms of Batman, um, yeah, man, that's such a tough one. <laughs> that's such a tough one. Um, I think I think also I'm a little bit tortured sometimes, and 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 so is Batman. So I kind of vibe with that, um, and I guess feel understood in a way mm-hmm. uh, with that. Um, where Superman is kind of like he's just such a good guy, right? Like he's right. he's he's just so good because he wants to be. And, you know, I think that's a, that's a, a wonderful lesson for everybody to learn, uh, which is like you can be good because you choose to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and Batman has that too. But um, Batman was gonna kill the guy who killed his parents. Right. Yep. Yep. Seek revenge yep. and murder that guy. Which is understandable. But I don't think Superman would do that. No. Superman right? That's definitely why the big yeah. thing Superman kills someone. Right? Mm. Um, it's almost like he wants Superman wants to uh, teach them a lesson. Right? And be like, don't do that again. Batman's yeah. kind of like, mm, it really hurt me. Like, I, I'll kill you. Like, if someone did something to, if someone killed Lois Lane, I'm I'm betting Superman's going to go kill that. Or, I mean, um, Batman's going to, sorry, I'm missing the move. If someone killed Lois Lane, uh, Superman's almost going to not kill them, right? He's going <laughs> to, like, lock them up for life. Whereas if someone killed um, um, Batman, the love of Batman's life, he's he's probably gonna go kill them. Yeah, that's, no, that, that's a that's a really good point. Know, it's kind of a I, human condition, I guess. What what I love about it from the standpoint of Batman, I don't want to say love. I'm, I'm I'm not advocating violence here, but what I love about the story of Batman is that what he always tries to explain to Clark is, look, I locked them up also, but then they come out and then they kill like uh you know. Uh, a bunch of people on the train, and then I lock them up. They come out. They kill a yeah. bunch of people in the bank. Like at some point, it has to be they can't like they can't be redeemed. They can't be fixed. 
something has to be done that they fear the idea of doing something like that. And, and that's why he's like, all right, cool. I won't kill him, but I'll gladly punch all the Joker's teeth out. So maybe he thinks twice about blowing up the bank next time. Uh, that's Superman's right. just like, Superman's like, no, yeah. he's like, no, don't, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, but I, I, I love that between them, but I, I did want to ask you, uh, we're not going to hold you for, for much longer, but I did want to ask you, this to me was uh, what I thought was going to be the more funniest things to ask you. We actually interviewed, um, I'm trying to remember who exactly we interviewed last year, but we did hear uh, words that um, we could possibly see other characters from the DC universe pop in. Like we got uh, a name like Hawkman, we got possibly some of the Lanterns. So I wanted to ask you, has it been discussed that this show, obviously, when it gets renewed, not if, we're putting positive energy out there, when it gets renewed, yeah, feel that. Um, you know, has there been talks of introducing other characters of the DC mythos, like a Hawkman or like a Green Lantern, uh, bringing them into into this world? Absolutely, yeah. That is perfect. <laughs> no that is so perfect. I mean, how could you not capitalize on that? I mean, that that's that's also why this show is uh, so good as well, and and has such a springboard because you can do that. Exactly. Yep. It's yeah. all it's all there. I mean, you've got the Omega Men, you've got Green Lanterns, you've got Hawkman, Hawkwoman, you've got. I mean, the list goes on. Right. Absolutely. There's so much you could do with it. And what I love is that, like I said, with the world that you all have created with Krypton, it all is plausible. Like none of it seems like, oh, there's no way a Green Lantern would like, no, there's a very good chance a Green Lantern could exist um, or or the core itself could exist or just maybe started to exist. Um, and, And to me, when when I first heard that you guys were going to introduce Doomsday, and then Doomsday was going to be someone that comes up again in the second season, I immediately thought, like, no one in Krypton could, like, stop Doomsday. Like, could we see, like, someone come and help out, take on, uh, take on Doomsday? But a, a part of me kind of wanted to stay in-house to where you guys figure out a way uh, to save the day. Maybe not necessarily with with outside superhero help, but like you said, it sets itself up to where it's like you have these opportunities. There's no way if this show goes six, seven, eight seasons, we don't ever see uh, some of these other DC characters come in and, and, and maybe help out. Oh, yeah. There's no question there. No question. Um, but, you know, I, I hear what you're saying about about us fighting Doomsday, and, you know, and that does happen. But also what, what percolates my brain is, what if you put Lobo? Because Lobo has like Superman strength, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And he's kind of—you can't really kill the guy. He just regenerates. I mean, he blew his own head off and then grew back from like a hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> right? Like, like I just—I just picture this sort of like dark comedy of Lobo fighting Doomsday thinking that he's going to do something and getting absolutely smashed and torn apart and then sort of regenerating later on as, as Doomsday's gone on to destroy other things 
and coming back being like, well, that didn't, it, you know, extremely embarrassed. I mean, like that didn't go as planned. And then having to try and redeem himself and kind of the villain becoming the hero in a sense. Um, like that to me would be fascinating. Right? Because he can't really die. But neither can Doomsday. Right, right. Really. So I, I think it would be fascinating to sort of stick those two players and just sit back with some popcorn. Oh, totally, totally. Like, let's see what happens. Let's see. What, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, and, I, think you, and like, I think you make it did something for the writer's room. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm all, I'm making making it gruesome. You know, <laughs> I mean not, yeah. like, not I, like Texas Chainsaw Master or anything, but like you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not yeah. I think you've uh, pitched something to the to writers for season three, <laughs> or for the yeah. spinoff. Yeah, a, there's so many places. I mean, I think I think if um, you know, I think with a season three, I think the audiences are are riveted. Uh, right and the 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 reception of the show this season has been nothing short of phenomenal. Right, right. I know you've uh, I know the show has gotten some notice from attention from the Saturn Awards and and other and also just critical acclaim on Rotten Tomatoes and others. So, uh, you know what we didn't we didn't have that in the first season. Right. Um, but also first seasons are tough. You have to introduce characters you have to set up the plot you have to set up the stakes you there's a lot of stuff that's going on that are that's slow going i i usually say like the first three four episodes of a show i kind of in a way write off i go okay this is sort of like the first 50 pages of the book you know someone's like this book's amazing you just got to get through the first 50 pages and then but you have to read the first 50 pages otherwise you don't know what's going on and nothing matters Exactly. Same with a show. You have to get through those first three, four episodes and then be like, okay, I know what's going on. I know who everyone is. I, I understand the stakes. And now let's go. And that's, you know, that was kind of our first season. And you're trying to find stylistically where it fits, what the show wants to be and everything else. Um, and, you know, that's why I think season two is so great because it just, we're not held up by those encumbrances. We can move forward without without that ball and chain and be like, that's set up. Let's go. And also this show found what style it wants to be. Um, and I think everybody seems to dig that style. We, so. we definitely, yeah, definitely do. And speaking of, of which my last question for you is this, um, as we wrap up season two and as we go to season three, uh, what do you foresee happening to, to Adam as as he continues to grow in his path and helping to ensure that Kalel uh, does come into uh, to existence. Well, I think what I'd like to see and 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 what I have faith that we will be seeing is a little bit more into Adam's story, um, and Seg going along with Adam, finding out you know going to Ran and Thanagar mm-hmm. and Earth and doing some traveling, right? And right. Adam fit, starting to fill those shoes, like definitively stepping into being a hero. Um, 
and then you'd meet Alana and you would meet Hawkman and Hawkwoman and that all that sort of the Omega Men like that's all Adam's world, right? Right, right. And those and Green Lantern, I mean that's that's Adam Strange's world. And so I think that if we go to Adam Strange's world and bring back some of those guys to fix Krypton, that's a big that's a big adventure. You know. Yeah. Zod is just gaining power, and Zod, you know, it seems at this point, Zod has control, um, has captured um, um, Doomsday. Mm-hmm. So what's he going to do? He's trying to weaponize him. So then how how can we defeat um, Doomsday? You know, I yeah, pitched that's... the Lobo idea earlier, but that, that's also a bit of a stretch. Lobo kind of does his own thing. Right. So, right. question is how? And we've got Brainiac on the loose, who has Jor-El. And, mm-hmm. you know, so we have these big problems and these big yeah. villains. Yep. And if we go to Adam's world and see Ran, Thanagar, Earth, Omega Man, you know, possibly Green Lantern, Hawkman, um, that sort of thing. Then, then it's getting real interesting. Well, yeah, real interesting. It, it, We've got real superheroes and powers, some you know, and Alana, and you know, the Ranthanagar War is probably happening. It's there's just a lot of stuff that's that's going on, which makes things very action packed and interesting and fun. Oh yeah, and, and I look forward to seeing that absolutely what i'm hoping for is that adam gets a spinoff because adam to me has always reminded me somewhat of like uh marvel's star lord so it's like if he could have yeah. his own guardians of the galaxy and, and his own spinoff mm-hmm. show that would be priceless um and, and i think we all want that <laughs> i think that's what we all want thank you man yeah i i, I think um i'm gonna agree with you on that um <laughs> I do like no but genuinely just from from even a, a fan standpoint I think that's interesting mm-hmm. and I think that's fun and it just there's so much that uh, goes on and you know the character of Adam I mean he is him and Star-Lord are compared um and in fact Adam existed before Star-Lord but uh I just think that that's a that that's a really fun show um and you're just running into all the characters that you want to meet, you know? Yeah. It's just a and cool I mean, show. And, you know, he has sort yeah, of an Indiana Jones quality to him. There's some levity in, in the face of this great danger that he has. Absolutely. And seeing Adam kind of balance uh, the the future where he comes from and the past to where he, he is now, seeing him kind of go through that. Um, and then just seeing more of him in present day, uh, or, or in the future, rather, um, is a story that I'm sure a lot of people who enjoy this show would love to see. That's why I first started off by asking you, like, could we ever possibly see – I mean, because it's not out of the realm of possibility for Adam to go and get Superman. Or like you said, maybe bring Segel, um down to Earth, get him that yellow sun, bring him back. Um, all these yeah. are, are, are possibilities, but we want to see more of the world through Adam's eyes. 
Um, we're seeing this whole story through Segel. It's about Segel. It's about the legacy that he's starting and everything like that. Adam is like Adam's not just one of those secondary characters that you just like. Yeah, no, he's just really good on the show. No, 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 no. Adam is good enough that he deserves his own show for us to see his world through his eyes. And like I said, start mm-hmm. up his own team and and you know maybe do some time travel uh, saving or, or whatever Adam decides he wants to do. I'd be I'd be along for that. Yeah. Yeah, man. Oh, I'm I'd be along for that ride too, and hopefully we get to do that because I think that's a great idea. Yeah, they're, def- they're, just, they're definitely going to they're gonna cool. do that. If if they knew Lobo deserves a, a, a spinoff, Adams is, is not that far behind. I believe in that uh, wholeheartedly. Um, but, mm-hmm. Sean, we want to thank you so much for joining us. We had a blast talking with you. No just um, let me say that it's been a, a real enjoyable interview. I love talking with you guys. If you want to do it again in the future, just just reach out and I'll make time. Perfect. That's awesome. We definitely will. Probably we're gonna give you some time, but after the you know the season ends, um, we'll definitely you know once we hear that it got renewed, the season ended, we could talk mm-hmm. about the season in, in a whole. We'll definitely try to reach back out and uh, and have another conversation. Great. I would love that. Thank you very much. We had so much fun having you on, and we can't wait to have you back. Thank you. Thank you, man. Have a great day, guys. You too. You too. Take care. Bye. Thank you again, Will. One of the fun things about having a podcast is being able to bring other podcasters onto your show. And on our October 18th show, we welcomed KJ from the Condé Nerdy Girls podcast to join us to talk about several things, including Arrowverse, Comic-Cons, and more. Here we talk about seasons and show endings. Going back to Supernatural, I have watched Sam and Dean die so many times that I'm like, what can they actually end this with? Right. Because I'm not going to believe they're dead because they're never dead. You know, so I I think that that is a I, I mean, and that is a problem that every show that goes on for a long time runs into. But I think especially in these comic book worlds where we're talking about time travel and, and different earths and things like that it, you do as a fan start to go well you know n- n- there's nothing at stake because they can find a loophole through anything right I mean granted Arrow's really coming to an end because Stephen Amell didn't want to do the show anymore yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and to his credit I mean to, to, to KJ's point about Supernatural you know going on for a very long time and and running out of ideas, you know, it's sometimes good to know when to leave the stage. Right. And I think that, I mean, it's it's funny how I don't really watch the show. I'm sorry, KJ. Um, But I do watch a lot of their cons and (laughs) the panels at their cons because Jared and Jensen are hilarious, especially when Misha is around. Oh, my God. And the stories they tell. I want to be on that set for a day. That is amazing what they're able to get away with. So I think it was important for them to leave while the show was still being watched as opposed to being told nobody cares anymore. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think um, Supernatural is in a place. I mean, they've had it, even the, you know, the most hardcore fan will admit that there have been some seasons where it's like they weren't completely on it. Um, right. 
But for the most part, for a show that has been on that long, they have found ways to reinvent themselves. But, you know, I mean, you're talking about 15 seasons and last season was probably one of the best in recent, uh, recent times. Like they really brought some life back into the show and the, the, the storyline was fresh. And so I think doing what they're doing and kind of similar to what Arrow is doing is that this is going, going to be, there's a lot of reminiscing um, in the first episode of Supernatural. Um, I calmed down a little bit about it being the first episode of the last season because they made it very comfortable. Mm. They brought back some, uh, I mean, like the premise is basically everyone that they sent to hell, well, hell just opened up. So they're all back. Um, so all bets are off. So there were, you know, demons and stuff that from the first season that were showing themselves, but in a way that it wasn't overtaking the, the entire episode. Like it was sort of a nice little callback for people to season one, but not in a way that was like just reminiscing. It had a purpose. Um, so I think, I think it'll be, I think it's going to be fun to kind of watch them do that. And I think, you know, it's kind of similar to, to what Arrow's doing and that, look, we've, the fact that the fans have allowed us to be around for this long, let's give them a really awesome final season. Let's all kind of say goodbye to all of this um, story that we've loved so much together. Yeah. I I don't watch Supernatural. So it's okay. That's okay. That's why I was trying to kind of compare it to Arrow. Yeah. Yeah, but I, mean, I don't know. I don't know if you guys watched um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer did a kind of a similar thing in their final season. It was that there were a lot of callbacks to things throughout the years that. Yeah, um, I, mean, really, I, know, really, yeah, I don't watch Buffy, but another show that is ending this year that I could see that see some of that is, um, and, and it's not Mr. Robot, Sarah. It's actually uh, the Good Place, where uh, yeah, uh, where okay. they again knowing when to knowing when to leave the stage because I mean, this season has been, they've, they've, you know, they've constantly re- rebooted themselves and, you know, taken that gimmick so many different ways that they can. And so now with this third season, this fourth season, actually, they're in a third, I haven't watched the episode tonight, but at least the first two is a lot of callbacks to the beginning and some of the, um, uh, there are things about they basically have the you know a new four that they're trying to you know make better like the from the very very first season and so it is sort it is one of those things where all right yeah it's it's still funny it still has some you know good moments and stuff but at the same time you're like yeah this is this is definitely one of those things where yeah, you all are making the right decision to 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 to, to finish the show now while it still has that 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 level of, of freshness and creativity instead of just letting it linger on and just die a horrible death. That got violent real quickly. Like you <laughs> went straight to die a horrible death. Yes, like not so fade shows... away into oblivion, but just die a horrible yes. bloody mess yes. in the yes. joke movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. oh, God. 
that escalated quickly. Let's talk about cats and poop again, okay? I think we were on target for our audience. <laughs> it went all downhill. <laughs> I think that that is it for us tonight. Uh, KJ, it was amazing having you on. Thank you so much because... Our next recap comes from our October 25th, 2019 show, where we recap the Watchmen pilot. It is safe to say that this show quickly became a favorite here on the podcast, as well as the viewing audience. Joining us is our Arrow fan, Tasha, who also talks with us about things Arrowverse related in this episode. Watchmen debuted um, over the weekend, and it's only nine episodes. So great. I loved that. I didn't expect to like it as much as I liked it. So did you, I, read, the, I, did you read the comic? No, I didn't. I didn't okay. read the comic. The only thing I did was see, I saw the movie, and I didn't like the movie, which is insane because they had such great actors. And I was bored to tears in that movie for some reason, but I loved this episode. Like, I really loved it. You were bored to tears because my nemesis directed the movie, and he just is known to direct and produce very good trailers for movies. And then when you're watching the movie, you're bored to tears. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, good thing is, <laughs> this, this movie has, this, this show has nothing to do with the movie, so you... So if you haven't watched the movie, you're to be forgiven. And, and don't feel bad. And don't feel bad because you haven't watched the movie. You're not. You're not missing anything by um, because this this universe is is really more. Uh, it, I guess I've heard back and forth as far as whether it's a direct sequel for, to the original comic or uh, you know, it's in the shared universe. So, but yeah, I, I just I, I think. It has enough elements in it that it is, it is uh, I'll call it a sequel to the comics. And, you know, that's one thing, though, that watching the episode, as much as I liked it, it was very refreshing. I love the world building. I love how they did not spoon feed information to anyone about anything. And we were just following the characters. It was very natural. I still felt, having watched the movie... And being the one one of the people who um, really was invested in the movie just because of the trailer, like that trailer, if you haven't seen it, it's one of the best trailers ever, I think. I just, I remember watching that so many times and then going into the movie and like Tasha said, being bored to tears. <laughs> but still, in knowing that this show's being going to be produced and on HBO, I kind of wanted to to give those characters where I thought I was going to get this epic story and I wanted to see that all here. And I understand this is the first episode. Nine times out of ten, I always hate the first episodes of things. So I did enjoy this episode. There was just this, this absence of those characters that I know are coming or well, are part of this world. Because... Yeah, there is one character that is part of this world. Yeah, Dr. Manhattan. He has been shown in trailers, so yeah. he is coming. Well, Dr. Manhattan was shown in this one. I mean, he was shown on Mars when the when his whole structure was collapsing there. Yeah, but they've shown him in other clips. Yeah, so we know yeah. he's in this universe, but... And he's coming. Yeah, 
But the comedian's dead, so he can't return. Well, yeah, and I'm not talking about the comedian. I'm talking about Dr. Manhattan. And then also Jeremy Irons' character is also, I think, uh, Asmodeus. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, the character who reminds me of one of my least favorite shows, um, Pennyworth. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you watch Pennyworth? Nope. Yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, I tried. We 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 tried. I tried to give it a good college try, but yeah, it just didn't. Uh, three episodes and then quit. Oh. I mean, I made it a four, and wow. then quit. I made it to three, and then I was like, no, uh, uh-uh. uh, no, no, no. And yeah, people still rave about the show. Anyways, that's a tangent. Yeah. Um, going back to Watchmen. All right, guys more thoughts about it like it opens up tulsa 1921 mm-hmm. a very historic like entrance in a show that is like this is what i love about this episode you ha- it, it it really focused on setting a reality mm-hmm. and then every now and then you would get glimmers into this is not the reality you're used to or you're living in but yeah. it still feels grounded enough where you're like oh um i i understand that why this situation like i i get it like this is stuff that's currently happening in the world today so yeah. um it it almost is on par with how game of thrones did it where it really made it feel like you were um it was some kind of story from medieval times and yet as the seasons went went on and more creatures started to appear you're like no this is a real other world fantasy show yeah i felt like you could connect to like the people like you see regina mm-hmm. king's character and she's like okay i'm just a mom just at school for show yep. and tell and that's normal and then she's driving her kid home and it's, ah, we're raining squids just yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> raining it's just normal what (laughs) so that's just like okay this world is very different but there's something so grounded that you're like i can connect to the mom part but the squids i i don't know yeah i completely agree i mean the 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 groundedness it was two things actually from at the very beginning because one you you had the silent movie Mm. uh that that you know it just you know because it really when you think about the time period 1921 it, it, you really juxtapose that silent movie with what other big silent movie came out around that time, Birth of a Nation. So, mm-hmm. so it, where you had it with the in the Watchmen, you did have this true character, Bass, uh, the sheriff, uh, who was Bass Reeves. Bass Reeves was actually a real person. Not because I know a lot of people are focusing on the Tulsa massacre, but right. in that in that opening sequence, there was actually two historical figures uh and i you know I, I knew about the tulsa massacre but i did not i actually learned about bass reeves in this uh in this show um he was an actual u.s marshal uh one of the first african-american um individuals and learning more about him i think the the, the lone ranger character was actually kind of based off of his his exploits and adventures during that time period so you had him as a sheriff Coming in, you know, and then and then of course you had the the Tulsa the massacre, which again, as you guys talked about, definitely set up this real world, this this uh, grounded this show, uh, which really caught me off guard. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. As far as 
you know, I wasn't expecting that kind of opening to a to a a, a comic book based show. And I don't think anybody was. It, yeah. it really, yeah, and and given that that was the context, it was like, oh, okay, this is, I, you know, I was instantly like, oh, I got to see what you're going to do with this. Yeah. And 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 as they, you know, Regina King, badass. I mean, she's just, but again, outstanding character. I love the scene in the school because she's trying to teach these kids and then, you know, you have the kid, you know, and it had all these little Easter eggs throughout the, in the classroom. I mean, you had the poster of the presidents and of course you saw, I was like, is that Robert Redford? And sure enough, yeah. it is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, he's been president for like 40 years. He's yeah. like, yeah. And, and, and the kid, like the red for ration. So I was like, cause I had to watch, I watched the show. I watched it twice at the pilot and I was just like, the first time I missed him saying red fertations, but then the second time I was like, Oh, he said, yeah. And, yeah. and just, and, and then of course, the other thing that I noticed was, was, uh, Ashley's kids, um, Angela's kids, they're white. Yep. And, and so, you know, it, it, it ties into that red fertations because that was, you know, basically, you know, you had the Black Wall Street that was destroyed by by the mob in 1921. And then you see, because of the Red Federations and all this other stuff, this new economic empowerment in that community where African-Americans are like the ones who are in a nice middle class homes. And mm-hmm. and and so it was just great how they just sort of set that whole world up for even more things to come in that in, in, in the episode. And of course, this season. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of us now want um, to take uh, Angela's attire, and that's the Halloween costume this year. Because, like, oh my god, that I love that costume, and I, yeah, it was just great. Um, But another character who I thought was used really interesting because I like how they set up this whole. You know, the silent movie opening caught everyone off guard. But then as they transition into present day and meeting the Calvary and also the police force and how it there is very like similar to cowboys and Indians mm-hmm. and and just in how the names and everything like that fight sequence at the end. Like all of the, um, they were on horses and there's cannonballs and it, it's like, this is present day. And yet it feels like a war that is happening in another time, like in an older time with all, all of the, um, technology we have right now. So it was really interesting. Um, even with the pileup of bodies uh, that's happened during world war one and all of the trenches. So, but the, the character was the looking glass. Because I like how the Calvary is using, making this homage to Rorschach with their their mask. And yet, with the looking glass, when they put him in, um, I, I forget what they called it. Then you got to see why the detectives wear that mask. Mm-hmm. And it's very, and flash all of those images and you, it, it does become all of a sudden a Rorschach test. And I thought that was genius. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like they're both using the same tools um, to fight this war, but in very different ways. And I, I think that's really um, ingenious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, it was an ingenious move and just how it, the way they did that interrogation to, to figure out, you know, is this guy the 7th Cavalry white supremacist? 
Um, and, you know, and again, it ties back to the things they set up earlier with the Red Federations. And, and part of the those, I think, I read somewhere where uh, those those the, the Red Federations were set up in a way that exempted um, the African-American citizens of the United States from paying taxes. So the thing that was the the part that gave him away prior to uh, Rene King just whooping his ass was uh, the, the the fact that he said yes when, he, when the question was asked, should all Americans pay taxes? Yeah. But it was just that, that, that whole scene, I mean, he had, the, you know, this clearly in this world, you still had, you know, we, the images, you still had, you know, 9-11 didn't happen. And because you saw the, t- the two towers pressed still there and just all the images that they that they used in that in that sequence, it was just it was again just very, like you said, Sarah, just using the looking glass as the the Rorschach test for uh, trying to ferret out the subversive element uh, was just very very good storytelling. I thought very fresh compared to some of the rote stuff that we're constantly like given each week for some other shows. Yeah. All the detectives sitting there behind the what the two way glass like this was definitely yeah. a new spin on yeah doing an interrogation yeah they don't have that on criminal minds no they do not <laughs> <laughs> um any other thoughts about Watchmen in the first episode um, just excited for the second one yeah I I. A couple, one other thing, as far as Don Johnson's character, uh, the sheriff Judd, and uh, his motivations, because I, I, the way the way the show ended, it, it makes me wonder if he was uh, was a double agent or or was his motives entirely pure? Um, because it, it just seemed very. Com- very convenient how he was how he was offed and also it was i guess the the kid who of course we saw we were introduced with in the tulsa massacre of course it's all grown up Lewis, you know lewis goss's character uh which i don't think they gave did they give him a name i don't recall if they did or not uh but we do it was him because the letter that uh his father gave to him when they bundled him up to, to send him out of town to safety uh was was there on the wheelchair and yeah yeah and then of course just the uh the little in universe will tie in to the to the to the comedian with the blood splatter on the shield instead of the instead of the happy face i love that um so predictions do you think they're gonna end every episode with something falling and then a little speck of blood just to pay an homage to that image that a lot of us tie to the watchmen i think yeah i, I think yeah. it's going yeah, yeah. i mean <laughs> yeah. they had easter eggs all throughout it. i mean even when like angela was like teaching the class with the eggs the I mean, smiley face and the smiley egg bowl yeah egg i mean it's just all all these easter eggs all throughout the uh all throughout the show that uh i mean i because i i haven't read the watchmen in years but I, i've read doomsday clock the direct sequel equals to the comic uh i guess it was a series that came out uh, about a year or two ago and uh yeah it's it's just, you know splattered everywhere the button so 
uh, yeah, that's that's definitely going to be be there. Uh, no, I definitely, I agree with you about um, the character, the way his death, like leading up to his death, those like small moments, like when you see him walk away from the rest of the family at the table, and then you realize like he's off to the side, kind of doing drugs, and then he goes back to the table, and then when he talks to his wife, and he's like, "Oh, it's been a really hard week," and I'm just like, "Why does it? It didn't feel like oh, it's a hard week because." you know, a cop got shot or whatever. It felt like he was hiding something. It felt like mm-hmm. there was kind of a guilt or a weight or something else that was on him. Yeah. Which is why I spent the entire episode waiting for them to show him um, being part of the Calvary. Mm-hmm. I spent the entire episode. And which would have been the easy choice to make. Yeah. Yeah. It, because that's that's the cliche. We've seen it a thousand times where we think that um, the main character there um, they have this this quote unquote wiser person who's able to protect them. But then it, it turns out at the end of the episode that that person's out also working with the enemy. And I'm so glad they didn't do that. And they they made it the harder way, which mm-hmm. was to kill him. And honestly, during that after at the end of that um, end fight sequence, when they end up crashing the ship, I was like, oh oh, he's dead. Okay, and then. <laughs> He comes out and they start laughing and I was I was still waiting. I'm like, okay, where's the I was shot? Expecting him to get shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Where's where going to shoot him? <laughs> so they just they just dragged it out. It was coming and coming and and then they they made it more of um, a statement, which is going to tie into a lot of what they set up because there is a political game happening right now. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the he made the decision to allow the police force to um, no longer have to stick with that protocol to release their weapons because they are under threat and attack um, and fear for their lives. So now people, now the police force um, are weaponized. Yeah. So, and he already made the decision. So I wonder if maybe the debate, well, do we take it back now because he just got killed or if that further proves that um, they keep their weapons exactly 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 Exactly. yeah yeah and i'm glad you brought up about the weapons too because that that that, when we were were first introduced to present day i mean that was the very first scene that we that we had Mm -hmm. where the with the traffic stop and and the 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 the, the script was was flipped again when thinking about present day as far as um you know, with the driving while black or whatever, and you know, this time you had uh, the uh, farmer who was the guy who was stopped, and and you know, I, and I saw this, I did see the the police officer getting killed coming. I mean, it was it was pretty well telegraphed that that was going to happen, but just the the way they set up the world, and also to, to follow up on your point, Sarah, about how they were become weaponized. When he was trying to get his taser out of the out of the charge, I mean, how many times he had to get authorization to use deadly force? Okay, I'm sorry. Before I said um, that Angela's costume was going to be, we're going to see it a lot during Halloween. I take it back. We're actually going to see the panda costume yes. a whole lot more because <laughs> that was the craziest thing to me. <laughs> <laughs> I like how they they mentioned the name during that very intense scene. 
And then they wait a few scenes, and then we're back at the police force, and they're panning in the next scene. Yeah. <laughs> the head. It's, it's not even a full costume. It's just the head, the head. <laughs> on a human body. I mean, they're arguing. You're making the wrong call, Chief. You're, you're making the wrong call. I'm like, you're a pan head. Who's going to take you, know, you seriously, buddy? Do you know how many panda gifts? That one scene ruined for me. Oh, man. <laughs> I won't say it anymore to you. I'm a panda. All I was thinking about was, you know, that gif with the panda in the office, like, smashing mm-hmm. all the computer screens. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Same brain. Same brain. Totally yeah. agree. I went straight there, too, because that was, for a while, one of my favorite gifts to use. I haven't used it in a while. And as soon as I saw that, I went straight there with, I was just like, oh. Oh no, not the panda from the office. <laughs> oh, so great. Oh, oh my God. Oh. All right. So I think that's all of our thoughts on Watchmen. And yeah. Will, you you get an A plus because I did not rewatch it, but after hearing you mention all those Easter eggs. Clearly, I miss things. I was focused too much on the pan, obviously. Oh. <laughs> it's easy to focus on the panda. I mean, it's, uh, it's just the panda head. I mean, what? <laughs> <laughs> going to work and like Tasha was saying, how do you take somebody wearing that seriously? <laughs> that's the person yeah, that you have to ask to, to use your weapon. The panda that's head. The, no. that's, <laughs> yeah, the, that's the trick-or-treater I'm going to be looking for. I'm going to be looking for the panda. <laughs> We're recording next week on Halloween, so yeah, we're definitely. I'm definitely gonna report oh. back how many pandas I saw. <laughs> oh my god! And not even full costume, just the yeah, head. Just, just the head. head, just the head. Okay, and you have to like business ta- um, panda on top and business attire on the bottom. Yep. Yep. <laughs> our next episode comes from December 12, where we bring in our two Arrowverse experts veronica rose and tasha to help us unpack all the things that happen in crisis on infinite earths this crossover event in the arrowverse was first teased back in the elseworld crossover at the end of 2018 so we were all looking forward to this happening and here is our recap discussion from that episode um, we do have a crisis to talk about. Yes. It's only been building for a year. And and I guess where I want to start, though, is, and Will can vouch for me, for some reason, I had also forgotten that two of the episodes was going to air in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I was fully prepared for five you are, hours. You are, yeah, you were so ready for it. You just wanted it all like, right now. But you're, you're to be forgiven because, again, you're just doing this little thing called moving. So. Yeah. And and so when I started watching the three episodes, I couldn't help but compare it to Elseworlds. And with Elseworlds, that was such a complete crossover that there there are definitely some strengths of this three-episode arc. However... I really liked what they did with Elseworlds in the sense that it felt like one complete story 
from start to finish and there was no delays and you were able to digest it quickly, um, but it also had a, it was well paced. And with this, I kind of just am thinking to myself, man, we, 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 there, there's two hours left and we have to wait a while to get those fine, to get closure. And so I don't know how everyone else felt about that. Well, um, for me, uh, no, go ahead. <laughs> okay. For me, I feel like um, the first three hours, there was definitely a bit of a pacing issue. Mm. It, it felt a little bit disjointed. And I feel like definitely because of how much stuff that's supposedly in um, hour four with like the anti-monitor and a lot of background stuff, I feel like that's probably going to be very rushed. Mm. I don't know how they're going to work that that part out story-wise, but I'm hoping that they can give us something cohesive to wrap up what they've already done because the way the information was crammed in, I feel like they probably could have done a better job. Yeah. Yeah. At least, like, on the Flash portion. Yeah. Because I feel like Arrow did a lot of good lead-up, but I feel like on the Flash portion and with, you know, certain characters um, for, like, um, Pariah with on the Flash and other characters on Batwoman that we saw in Elseworlds that they could have probably threaded some things in there in the season so that if everybody was watching all the shows, it would have felt more cohesive because now it's just like a bunch of name dropping stuff in these first three hours and the story is not flowing as smoothly. Yeah. I felt, I felt that the most in the third hour, I think the first, the first hour with the Supergirl hour, I thought um, was, you know, I think it, you know, it did, it did its part. It set up the universe. I mean, I had, just leading up to the, the events this week, I hadn't read Crisis in years, so I went back and thanks to the DC app, you could they had the story on there. So, um, you know, I, I think it did a good job of just sort of setting up the universe, establishing what this, you know, what was going on. Um, but the third hour definitely, I felt, was way overstuffed, and it did feel that uh, there were some critical plot points that could have been um, expanded on more in that third hour. Really, it probably would have been better to have introduced Ryan Choi in one of the shows earlier in the season. I think you're, t- you're right, Tasha. That would have been a better place to, to drop him in instead of, like, during Crisis because it took away from, you know, the, really the, 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 whole, the part that suffered the most to me was the Purgatory story. Yes. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Because... <laughs> Stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had like this really long speech of Iris like trying to get Ryan Choi to get on board to be the um whatever of humanity or paragon of humanity. And then it's like, Oliver, I'm your brother, I love you. Wake up. Here's your soul back. Let's go. Like, hello. Two yeah. minutes. It was like two minutes, and I'm like, really? <laughs> I think this should take a little bit longer. He yeah. lost his soul and he's wandering around in the other world, and it took two seconds. Yeah. Really? Come on. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. because they, they set it up very well in the Batwoman hour, and with Batwoman you know, hour was the best hour. Yeah. In my opinion, I love that hour. I felt like this is on par with Elseworlds, 
And um, I love the team up. Kara and Kate work so well together on screen. And I love their dynamic. All of everything that they did in that second hour, um, maybe not the whole purgatory stuff, but still, <laughs> I really felt like this was a true crossover. And um, and you're right. The first episode, it was all introduction. Like, this is what's going on. Oh, my God. Earths are dying. And, and trying to um, really an introduction into crisis. And then the third hour, because they knew that they would have a break in between airing the conclusion, they it was it felt like a bridge. It felt like they had to wrap up some storylines and then also leave you with a cliffhanger for the final two hours. And that really annoyed me, but I wanna make sure we hear Veronica's thoughts as well. <laughs> well, one of the things that I was noticing, cause I watched this with my mother and for somebody who's read the comics, a lot of it made sense to me and I knew what was happening and I was sitting there going, yes, 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 yes. And my poor mother's like, wait, what happened? Who is that? Why did that happen? Where, wait, where did this person come from? What does that mean? And I realized that when they wrote this, uh, they basically wrote it as, you know, for any comic book lover. But if you're not a comic book lover or a reader or, you know, you don't even have just even a little bit of info on comic books. Like, you're sitting there kind of lost. And so that's why when I was watching, like, each hour, I, you know, I'm thinking, oh, you know what? That's going to show up, I bet you, in, in Batwoman. Or that's going to come up in, in The Legends of Tomorrow. Or, and so in my mind, I'm mapping it all out. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I see how it's going to work. But when you're not a comic book reader, like... This is not going to make sense to you. You're going to feel like you're you're kind of being strung along and they're just like pulling you really fast. Mm -hmm. So and I think that's what's happening and, and why so many people are kind of like, I don't understand. Yeah. Um, and I have a, another friend of mine. She's like, can you explain what happened? Can you explain what this meant? Because she really was like, I don't I don't understand anything that's happening. So I really think that they kind of did a disservice to a lot of TV fans rather than comic book fans. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I feel that's why there's so much, you know, m missed opportunities for a better arc for each of our characters than what we got. But overall, like, I'm enjoying it. But again, because... I know what's happening and I know who these people are and I know what's going to happen with them. That's, we that's... get it, Veronica. You're smart. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a dork. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's a very good point and uh, that it really, and, and like I said, if I hadn't, it's been years since I read that the, the series and mm -hmm. and I'm glad that I went back and took the time to to reread it because you're right Veronica because I it's fresh in my mind again I am able to put A to B to C together mm -hmm. uh, a, a lot better and also seeing things like for example Tasha calling it with with Oliver become a specter <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. uh, because obviously in the, in the comic of course it you know Jim Corrigan does have a very key role, but, um, but again, yeah. but again, I also see how 
they how they're going to maybe work in Oliver's ending as with with him becoming Spectre and and, and Sarah reaching back to Elseworlds and the end of season and the end of season seven for Arrow where Felicity goes off with the Monitor. Right. You know, this is a little theory spiral here. I think Oliver is going to serve the role that Spectre played in Crisis, and then at the end of end of Arrow, he's not going to be Spectre again. I think this is be the way they'll introduce Hal Jordan into the Arrowverse. Right. Yeah, and I mean, if they do that, like, you know, I'm all for it. I, I'm not a huge fan of like the whole Lazarus Pit thing. Like, I've never been a fan of that whole. Um, storyline but uh, you know it's it's like I kept telling a friend of mine I was like look you know at this point I really don't care how they bring Oliver back it's the fact that they're bringing him back <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with it I'll, I'll, I'll take it <laughs> yeah. yeah definitely I, I, not picky definitely not picky it was, <laughs> for me it was just like I know he's on the show alive that's all I care about. Let's just get there. <laughs> but I agree that the way that storyline is handled, like I was out, I was out of town over the week, like last week, and I came back to you know, people adding me on Twitter, like, "What is happening? Somebody, please explain to me what is happening. I don't <laughs> understand what is going on." And I'm like, "That is a that's a failing of writing." Yes, it really shouldn't be just comic book fans like us who know what's happening and for me when you have this amount of shows and this amount of episodes leading into the events they should have definitely done a better job like I don't feel like hour four is when we should just be finding out the backstory of the monitor and the ending monitor yeah we should have seen that we should have seen flashbacks of um harbinger and the monitor and how they met they had time all season to give us these moments and the yes. fact that now everybody's like, okay, well, you know, I mean, calling Oliver was going to be Spectre. was like, oh, well, duh, because <laughs> all right, we know the comic, but everybody else is really so severely confused yes. about what is happening and where this story is going. And they have two hours and they're trying to figure out in their head, how can you end something like this in two hours when everyone is dead? Everyone is dead. Oliver is dead. His body is gone. Yeah. How are you going to fix this when they're out in the netherverse? Like, what? So, yeah, this is a big problem. I mean, since the beginning of Arrow this season, I and every time Lila would pop up, I kept waiting for them to talk about this, Mm -hmm. to bring it up. And it never got mentioned, and I kept thinking, okay, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she's not going to be made into Harbinger. Maybe maybe my theory is just not going to pan out. But then it was like when um, they showed her recently, you know, walking into the alley to meet him, then I was like, okay, you know. I was like, that's a little late, but all mm-hmm. right. <laughs> right. You know, and... Um, yeah. And one of the, the things that I, I did enjoy is kind of, I don't know, seeing, um, I don't know, I guess the way that Oliver is kind of like, each episode, little by little, he's been reflecting on things. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of leading up to all this. So 
when he died in the first hour, I was like, wow, okay, so yeah, <laughs> that's what was going to happen, all right. For yeah. me, the, the Lila thing, I was good with 802 when they did, like, her backstory and she told, you know, gave the hint of a story that the monitor may have saved her. And then you see her meet him at the end of the episode. But my biggest issue with the season so far really has been, like, episode six where they did that loop. And I feel like that episode, especially since Lyle was in that loop, would have been a good time to them mm-hmm. for them to actually give her Harbinger backstory yes. before they led into her actually being the weapon and becoming the Harbinger. Because without doing that, it's just this, it's, it's an info dump. Mm-hmm. And for mm-hmm. people who aren't comic fans, that's just the info dump of all this information they're expected to remember, to understand. So we're really being told, like, okay, every mission Oliver has had was to get the parts, to create a weapon, to create to create a weapon that would activate Lila as Harbinger. Mm-hmm. But without that comics knowledge to be like, okay, well, she's Harbinger, what did she do? <clears throat> What's her purpose? Yeah, exactly. They they really failed the TV fans. You know, I yeah. mean, and let's face it, there's a lot of fans out there that are following the comics now because of the show. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's such a, a bad thing. I mean, this is the last season of Arrow. Speak yeah. And speaking of speaking of comics, I know they are going to do a comic tie-in to mm-hmm to this i think it was going to be set in between hours one and two uh where and actually felicity is going to show up wally west is going to be in the comic uh i think it drops i think either it dropped either yesterday or or next week in 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 walmart uh but it's a special edition uh written by both uh, matt guggenheim and mark wolfman who was obviously the original scrub so uh hopefully that will will um, help bridge some of these things, but you know, Sarah. One of the things that you know you brought up Elseworlds and how complete a crossover event it was, and one of the things we talked about last year when we were teased that Crisis was coming was whether or not, and, and, and hearing Tasha and, and Veronica's discussion right now, looking back at the eight episodes, you know, one of the things we talked about was whether or not they would do you know spread out the crisis over the course of the season and obviously they didn't but i think it you know listening to you guys talk it 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 would have been especially on flash and arrow because these two characters well all the characters but i mean really flat arrow being at its ending flash because way back in season one with the headline flash disappears in crisis you know those are going to be two focal points in in the series and then of course supergirl with the deal that Oliver made with the Monitor, and knowing that Kara, Pat, you know, also does in in Crisis in the comics, mm-hmm. you know, those are three key characters that they really, you know, Supergirl. I don't know what the hell they're doing this season. I mean, I've, I've just pretty much given up on that show. <laughs> but they, <laughs> but you know, they really could have, as you guys said, used those as earlier episodes to really lay the ground the foundation for crisis so that you know you, you don't have to exactly follow this the, the lines of the comics which and this they are really synthesizing the 12 
books into like five episodes and there's a lot of like there is a lot there is a lot of information that you have to like synthesize there yeah but don't don't promise something and fail to deliver they said they've had a year okay the they knew that they were going to build up to this and so they have had plenty of time to map it all out and make it work and i think that what you bring up is um you mentioned how We've also had a year to prepare ourselves for crisis and for Oliver and Barry to prepare themselves to crisis. And yet I felt like watching these first three episodes, they were minor characters. This wasn't about them, really. I think that we saw a lot more of the story told through Harbinger. We saw a lot of the story told through Kara and a lot told through um, Kate Kane. I mean, yeah. those yeah. those three characters, I don't know what kind of deal um, the actress who plays Lila made, like, when she first joined the show and said, well, when you guys do Crisis, I want a main story. But that's comic accurate. I mean, Harbinger yeah. and Pariah. Right. And, and I'm not trying to say, like, it's stupid or anything. I was yeah. I was going a different route with it. But okay. anyway, so, so it's also interesting, I guess... What about Nash and this whole parasite deal? Because (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that oh my god, they failed on that so hard. Oh my god, Uh, yes. I I mean, yes. I knew what was happening, but I'm. My mom goes, "Who is this doofus?" (laughs) And I just couldn't stop laughing. She's like, "Why is he wearing that?" So many things were wrong with his appearance, his delivery of his lines in the middle of Oliver dying. It was just all of it was not good. And I'm like, you introduced Nash before the crisis. You could have just introduced Pariah Mm -hmm. before the crisis. Right around the same time you destroyed Earth Earth 2 because he was supposed to be following destruction so right. they could have introduced him destroyed earth 2 and then introduced him on flash at the same time rather than having him say oh i'm here to watch bad things happen over oliver dying like that was so distracting from the fact that mia is there crying her eyes out <laughs> over her dead dad like it was like this whole scene is just not Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that goes back to our earlier point because you know I, I realized that Nash was going to be. I think even one of our earlier shows, or maybe offline with Sarah, we, I said Pariah. You know, Nash is going to be Pariah, right? And um, and and so that was there were early on in the Flash season six where they were spinning their wheels on stories like Nash going off doing things with Allegra and other characters and stuff. And I'm just like, you know, you're right, Tasha. Whenever Earth Two was destroyed, that would have been a perfect point in the storyline to have him go down in that basement. If that was the way they're going to have him become, you know, to become Pariah, that would have been the the, the moment to do it because that would have been like a, a good way to to build up to the crisis with some of these secondary characters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, was it just me or did he have the, repeat the same line throughout the entire three episodes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just like, we get it. From him, <laughs> saying it. Him saying it to um, who said it in episode three? Was it Barry? Oh, that's why you're here to watch 
to watch right. a catastrophe happen. And I was like, seriously? Again with this line about <laughs> the Right. It's like, we, we get, get it. it. It's yeah. like any time, um, I think before, Will, we were talking about how heading into these seasons, anytime a character would say crisis, my my ears would suddenly go off and I'm like, we know it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to stop and we get the camera for us. We get it. Something else, though, that I want to talk to you all about is to get your thoughts on the, the long-anticipated cameos. I mean, leading up to this event, there was a lot of names drops, characters coming back, and and we got a lot of those in the first few episodes, even in the first few minutes. Uh, my personal favorite cameo was the Lucifer one because I felt as if they utilized that time with that character the most effectively to where it helped move things along and it was also he actually got to engage with the characters unlike some of the other cameos that occurred. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um I you know what again because I I love all the comics and I I watched all the old you know uh Batman shows when I was a kid and I watched the cartoons. So I was totally like I was loving uh, it even if they were being killed off in the beginning <laughs> and I got to see Huntress, you know, I, I was like, yeah, cool. Um, it was fun. I mean, I don't know, like, I don't know if they were trying to go for anything profound, but for me, it was just a fun way to pay homage to like, you know, these characters that brought this world to life for me as a kid. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the only, I think the, the thing about, um, Lucifer, because see, I don't even watch that show, but I was really kind of excited to see him on because, you know, I knew that he was part of the DC world. And so it was really cool to like be able to see him interact with Constantine, who happens to be one of my favorites. So I was, I was cool with that too. I liked it a lot. But as far as like all the other ones, they were just fun. I wasn't trying to look at them as like some sort of, uh, you know, major plot point or anything. I just figured, you know, they were going to have fun with it, and that's exactly what they did. Tasha? Yeah, for me, um, definitely the Lucifer one. I am a fan of the show. I did. I do watch it. Yeah. It's one of my binge shows, so that was a lot of fun. And, of course, his whole, yeah, hard pass. I'm not going to be in it. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody knew that he was totally going to be in it. And then Huntress was definitely another favorite because I did watch that show. I've seen right. all the episodes. So that was one that I was actually looking forward to. And I did actually appreciate that, um, you know, because they did like, this is world number 666, this is this mm-hmm. world. Like it expanded the universe and it gave you like a perspective, like each of these places and all of these, ex- these um, shows that you've seen or moments that you've seen they're all being destroyed. So it helps, you know, for me, it helps wrap out that story and expand the story from that perspective. Right, right. Well, even stakes. I mean, a lot of us grew up with those shows and characters. And well, if their world is gone, that story is done and over with. And some of the shows are still going. Another cameo that stuck out to me was, of course, Tom Welling. Yeah, yeah. Superman, Superman, Superman. Yeah, that I think for me, I'm at it. I wasn't a big Smallville fan, but I, I I did watch watch it some. 
for me, it was the camp cameo is a toss up between that one and and Kevin Conroy as a as a yeah. Kingdom Come Bruce Wayne um, and also Brandon Ralph as I mean I don't know if it's a cameo but uh, I just got to say his Kingdom Come Kingdom Come Superman was like the Superman sequel that he should have gotten years ago. Absolutely. Uh, he yeah. he just he just killed it. I mean I I was just like it you know. Superman Returns is def you know it definitely had its problems with the script and the story was just a muddled mess but I always liked him as Superman and uh, and I'm glad he got a, a second chance to to um, to do that uh, to play Superman again uh, Tom Welling like you said I think that was totally consistent with the super the, the sort of Smallville theme. I mean, it was no surprise when he said, I renounce my powers. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, that makes total sense. Um, it made sense. I was, I was surprised by it because I wasn't going into it thinking that that would be the twist. But I like that they did it because it, th- there's a humanity to that that I appreciated. And a reminder that um, some of these characters, they don't, they don't want the power or they don't need it and they choose to give it up. Yeah, and and also just his very, you know, I think it was a nice hat tip to his very conflicted view towards his his time on that show and and how it's impacted his career. So I think it was, you know, it was nice ending, you know, cha- closing chapters. Another closed chapter was I loved what they did with John Wesley Ship and Flash Ninety. Yes. With the with the drop there, uh, just with him and Tina. Music, Danny Elfman theme from the—I mean, that was the show that introduced me to the Flash and got me hooked on the character. So for me, I got a lump in my throat seeing when he switched out with R. Barry to be the one that would actually be the one who would stop the uh, the antimatter cannon, uh, and that was just a super nice touch, especially given that that show was just canceled after the first one season and didn't have a finale. So. I mean that to me that was like the the probably one of the things that definitely sticks out to me in the in the crossover. Uh, definitely, I was so like, <gasps> you know, the whole hand to mouth thing when they showed that footage. I was like, oh yeah. my god! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I haven't seen that since the show ended. <laughs> yeah, I definitely took a breath on that one, and I feel like it was a great ending for his story. Mm-hmm. My issue with it is our current Flash story. Because for me, when you spend an entire season or first half of the season building up to the fact that this Barry is supposed to die to make it another Barry who dies, it just felt like, seriously? What was the point? Yeah. And that, for me, I was just like, eh. Like, I love that it ended the arc of the old flash but it definitely it felt like it undercut our current flash and what so it's like okay well he's a paragon of love and he was supposed to die to save everybody but nope and I'm like okay well I mean I said I knew that when they said the flash must die that somebody was going to take his powers like I knew it I've tweeted it I said it yeah but I was still kind of hoping that there would actually be some follow-through on this plot point that's just been going for the last how many episodes. Oh, I mean, since the beginning of the series. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, jeez. No, no, I 
I see, and I've been saying it all season, that I've kind of checked out of The Flash for that very reason, because I felt as if every episode revolved around him and others getting, not over, but reconciling their their feelings with the upcoming sacrifice and I'm just like we know he's gonna live I don't I don't buy into any of this it's pointless there's no stakes so so the whole switch out I was like yeah okay so and now we're probably gonna create a whole new universe and other things are gonna happen I don't really know but I was just like whatever so um I I I guess I was a pessimistic about it which which is funny because when you guys were talking before about Oliver's death in the first episode that caught me off as surprised because I'm just so used to going into these crossovers and him having a huge huge story arc in it mm-hmm. that the way he was utilized throughout these first 3 hours really I, I it wasn't that I was confused I was just like where's Oliver why? <laughs> Why can't we spend time with him <laughs> than some of these other people? <laughs> yeah, as um, a diehard Arrow fan, that was that's pretty much my mood. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, I like, felt I that... feel like he had great moments, but they were so spaced out, and because I have like an issue with the pacing, especially in hour three, it's like okay, we're we're heading off to find Oliver. And then they have his, Oliver gets his soul back in two seconds. And then this big moment of him becoming the Spectre. And I guess you guys follow me. So, you know, I've been ranting about this, like a crazy person for months that he was going to become the Spectre. And it's like, oh, going eyes, poof, done. I was like, what? Seriously? (laughs) This is all we're getting. And then they disappear from the scene. And even when the um, ship gets wiped out and his body is, that Sarah was supposed to be guarding is now gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We don't even see that. Like there are people on the ship who died and we didn't even see it. I was like, what is happening? Where is Oliver? What? It was, yep. no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, I don't know. Um, when they did that whole switch, like where Harbinger defeats you know, monitor and, and they all start to you know dissipate and Pariah sends them into the vanishing point. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we get like, I, I was sitting there kind of going, wait a second, did we miss something? I kept feeling like I was missing something there. Yes. But when I look back, I was like, nope, I'm not. This is exactly how it went. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it's okay, like it it was okay, and I was like, okay, fine, you know, I'll, I'll I'll take it. And then all of a sudden, freaking Lex Luthor kills Superman, and I'm like, are you kidding me? That I was really that part right there really bothered me because, um, I I just I really wanted to see Brandon last through the entire like crisis, yeah, and yeah. be able to like. Superman go back to you know wherever and I'm gonna start anew you know and yeah. they kill him <laughs> yeah like, yeah I... had to have a moment you know and he <laughs> stuck out to me as another person where I'm like I get why you're here 
but he was so much more menacing in the previous season of Supergirl than he was this entire these entire three episodes. He, he had the yes. great, yeah. He was definitely not as menacing, but he definitely the evil, the, the arrogance definitely came through, uh, especially when he was bouncing from Earth to Earth trying to kill the Superman. So, right. so I, I I did like that, and, and Lex does have a role in. It, you know, in the in the in the crisis, but I, I but I I hated it. it was at the expense of of Superman, right? Yeah, well, Kingdom exactly. Come, Superman. And yeah, for Kingdom. Me, yeah. That was, there you that go. That was also a little bit confusing because when he when Lex like shows up and he unfolds the paper, like the paragon that he X'd out basically was the arrow symbol. Mm. The one that he X'd out and replaced with his name was the arrow symbol. I'm like, but you didn't kill Oliver. Oliver isn't even a paragon. He's the Spectre. You killed Superman. So why? What, what's happening here? It was, that just made it even more confusing for me. I, I like, didn't even notice the symbol. Oh my god, I yeah. have to go back I'm and look. Have, I might have to go back and look at that too. I, yeah, I missed like, that. Because yeah. I sat there and I looked at the symbols and I was like, oh, because when I first saw them, I thought, oh, it's going to be a mix of old you know mm-hmm. the old heroes that were gonna have cameos and the new ones and then i said maybe it's really all the old heroes and oliver but i was just like there's an arrow symbol so oliver's a paragon and then they're like nope he's not even a paragon it's all these other random people and i'm like all right and then we get to this point and it's like oh well i'm gonna x out the arrow symbol and i'm gonna be a paragon and i'm gonna kill superman and i'm like but this doesn't make any sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm surprised mia wasn't one and they didn't go that route because she also had a an odd part to play. But I wanna I wanna make sure we get to talking about Will's favorite show, Black Lightning, and Yay. how Jefferson finally got to yeah. got to appear in a crossover. I really liked what how they integrated him. I like his whole dynamic with Barry. Barry for me, the first few few hours. Um he was kind of pushed aside and then it took until they figured out what was happening with flash from earth 90 and then Jefferson appearing. And then where I felt like he finally had more to do and also more people to interact with. And Jefferson was a good substitute for Mm -hmm. the dynamic between Oliver and Barry that as viewers, we come to expect with crossovers. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And uh, and before we even so I, I call the black black lightning I guess chapter chapter two and a half because <laughs> it really I, I I've you know I tweeted out to folks you know when folks were like should I watch black lightning this week I'm like definitely because uh, that they did a good job of integrating the current storyline that they've had this season into crisis using Jennifer yeah. and and. Jennifer basically figuring out the multiverse when she encountered Earth One Jen and Earth Two Jen, J I N N, who was a complete cold-hearted badass. But (laughs) but 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 it was it was a good way they did it because it's been this whole arc of basically you had the the extremes of Jennifer's personality and. And, and uh, they've been vague about Black Lightning's Earth. I know on the screen after they said he showed up, they showed Earth 73, but that's a little off because the comic didn't come around, I think, until 75 or 76. So 
I don't know which Earth our Black Lightning's from, but um, I think him losing his family and, and also, it, you know, to your point, Sarah, about the pairing, it gave what happened in Hour 3 more depth by having it set up in the episode of Black Lightning this week. And if so, if you, I mean, it's still, I think you could, for most viewers, if you don't watch the show, it, that scene probably still works on some level. But see, knowing Jefferson's backstory and stuff, when he had that scene with Barry, it felt deeper to me than yeah. it would have if you, if you hadn't watched the uh, episode of Black Lightning this week. So I feel like it's the the un, un, the unnamed chapter in the book. Yeah, definitely. I I enjoyed so much that episode of Black Lightning because um, when you know, instead of just being like at the very end, like, oh, red skies, oh, poofy, all disappear. They actually incorporate Jennifer's powers and how she's still trying to navigate those powers. And it worked so well. And I was so caught up in that story that come the actual time of like for you know, crisis to happen and they're all supposed to just like disappear with the antimatter. Um, I almost forgot that we were going into crisis with that show too. Mm. It just, it told the story so well. And and I really loved, have loved Jennifer's story because she's just torn between so many things going on in her life. And, and I don't know why I just kind of connect with her so much so I was, yeah, I was like so caught up in it that I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Jefferson's going to be in crisis. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it really did set it up. And I, I think the other thing too, some of the things that happened in that hour, I think are going to impact whenever we get in parts four and five of crisis, especially when they had, when they go back to the dawn of time in episode four, I would think part four of crisis and, and when they reverse all this and we get our streamlined Arrow, streamlined Arrowverse because the one gen that was, the, I guess the, I guess the calm gen, <laughs> um, right. was Earth One, and so whenever all this is reversed, you know Jefferson is going to end up on Earth One, and I think uh, that Jefferson and that is uh, on Earth One and Black Lightning. Met his met his demise because he he he, he doesn't have his powers mm-hmm. because of something Anissa did. So uh, to, to with the to take basically protect the metas in Friedland. So I, I'm thinking probably what could happen is just a theory spiral. This Jefferson will adopt that new family from Earth One. Interesting. Okay. Um. Another thing I wanted to talk about is probably my biggest an annoyance of the three hours is I really need to understand what what the timeline of Batwoman is. Because we met her <laughs> Elseworlds. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it was explained to me that, well, in in Batwoman, the first half of the season, it's her, it's 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 um it's set before Elseworlds. Correct. Because she isn't in her costume or anything. So so why did they make reference 
to the most recent episode of Batwoman, and um, it, it it just felt weird to me. I felt like the it was out of order, and I'm waiting for you to cut me off and tell me that I'm wrong and why, Will. <laughs> yeah, I think it was episode three or four of Batwoman this season that caught them up to the Elseworlds timeline and and present day timeline. Okay. So yeah, so yeah, so yeah, you're right. You're you're, you're correct. The first few episodes were pre Elseworlds, and then mm-hmm. uh, we got caught up to Elseworlds, and then what we've been seeing the last few weeks is like conc- running concurrent with everything else. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, they still could have done a better job with that whole explanation. Just they could have, they could have, but there's a lot they could have done. But but you're right. But the the but you're the the Batwoman episode to me as 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 we I think you said earlier it was definitely the best hour of of the three uh, as far as the prom crisis shows and uh, I mean we should definitely not um, we can't like speaking of Batwoman her interaction with Bruce and mm-hmm. how that fed, you know, fed into her later interactions with Kara. Yes. Um, we can't, we can't let the hour go, let the time go without talking about that. Um, I thought that, you know, you know, the steel line, if you are, you know, if you're hero long enough, you become the villain. I think <laughs> it's how it goes. That <laughs> was clearly yeah. our, kingdom, yeah. Uh, yeah. Our, our, our kingdom come Bruce. Um, yeah. And, just how broken he is and, and the fact that, you know, he didn't have that parental influence and everything and just how he, he, uh, yeah, he just became so dark, but like he was slaughtering people and keeping trophies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I saw that, I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah. I was really, um, caught up in how, Kate was handling Kara in her like weird court like sort of like nervous breakdown over like oh my god you know like Argo's gone my mother's gone my people are gone and it was like all she could think about and I was like wait um can you hold off on that freak out for a minute because you know the <laughs> universe is about to end and so we have to focus on all these other people but she was like so caught up in that and I really appreciated the way that they had Kate kind of like put her foot down, you know, instead Mm -hmm. of like Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, patting her head and it's going to be okay. You know, Kate really took on that kind of role of like, no, this is how it's going to be. This is why you have to not do it. And she was ready to do whatever it took to continue their mission in protecting or trying to protect what's left. Right. By carrying the kryptonite in her hand, in her suit, her pocket suit, whatever, I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah. like, her lid, I was... Her, her lid yeah. built. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And I was, like, you know, so I really appreciated that so much because in the end, it was, like, if you think of how Alex usually works with Kara, like, when Kara starts to have one of her little meltdowns, like, Alex goes in and she puts the, her foot down and... and then Carl's like, okay, okay, yeah, you're right, you're right. So it kind of like, you know, felt that way. And I, I appreciated that whole like little interaction they had going, but it did really bother me that Kara just kept going on and on about the book of destiny and wanting to 
bring back the other Earths and or bring back Argo. And I was just like, come on, you're supposed to be what the paragon of hope. Like, come on, let's let's hope that we can save the rest of the multiverse before we try to figure out what we're going to do to bring the rest of it back. Yeah. Right. right. I got it, but I like I I got that, but I also felt like part of it was maybe a little bit of guilt mm. because she did say like I'll Oliver flat out said like I'm dying for the two of you. And she mm. said to Sarah like he shouldn't have done that and Sarah's like no. He didn't just he died for you guys and he also saved a billion people like so I think right. part, it's like okay, he died for me to be here. I need to find a way to make that sacrifice worthwhile and I need to save all of these people. So her obsession, like, I already lost my mom. I already lost it. I'm supposed to be the paragon of hope. I need to find a way to fix this. I need to bring it all back because all these sacrifices just can't be for nothing. Right. Right. So she was kind of spiraling, but I got where her head, where her head was at with it. Right. I I actually think it would have been odd if, if she didn't have any reaction to all of that loss, because if if we don't count Laurel, which I'm assuming we are not, um, as usual, she's one of the only heroes who really loses their Earth in a, in right. that sense, and and then um, is put on this path. Everyone else, their their loved ones and worlds are still functioning, so they're in protective mode. But she's already lost, and so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when, where, how are you supposed to interact with everyone and, and help them with with the defense defense when you've already lost the game? I don't know, but um, I, I also, um, it just is a cool dynamic because mm-hmm. Kate, Kate's also the new kid here. She, she filed, this is her, yes, she appeared in Elseworlds, but she had a minimal part. And in this one, she really did a lot of heavy lifting and she did not stick out to me. It felt like she's been been there before a few times and a lot longer. So I was really impressed by by the writing and the dam- dynamic. And I like the twist. I like how there's um, some of the same dynamic we get with Barry and Oliver, mm-hmm. the the hope and it versus the the pessimism. But but they also do little twists. Like I don't. I think. If if all if Barry was Superman and Oliver was Batman, and they had this arc, I don't think Oliver would have given over the Kryptonite at the end of it like Kate did. You're right. Nope. Yeah. He wouldn't have. He would not have. Oh, not a he, chance. He did make yeah. a Kryptonite arrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong there, my friend. Yeah, oh. that definitely would have happened. Yeah. <laughs> Are anything else anyone wants to say um, about Crisis, at least the first three hours of it? I, I, I would love to hear folks' thoughts as far as what we're going to get uh, in hours four and five. An ending. <laughs> An ending. I don't, well, obviously that. But, yeah. But, well, I mean, you know, if, if, if we can get, like, Green Lantern... You know, with Diggle, I mm-hmm. think that's that's really all I really want, to be honest with you. Like, you know, because see, for me, like, I know Arrow's ending, and I am, you know, 100% that Oliver's going to be just fine, and everybody else is going to be just fine. <laughs> um, I just want 
Green Lantern. <laughs> and I, that's, that's like, because going into crisis, like, I really didn't pay attention to every little detail um, because I knew that either I was not going to be happy or I was going to be happy or whatever. Um, and I just wanted to watch this and just enjoy it without criticism because otherwise I have these high expectations and then I would be really disappointed. So, so far I'm enjoying it mm-hmm. because I am a comic book lover at heart and I do enjoy all the little, you know, Easter eggs that have been dropped and, and all the little, you know, um, cameos of all these people. And I love it all. Um, I just, in the end, my big hope is for Green Lantern. <laughs> and that's really the biggest thing that I want. Because I'm, I'm at a point now where I just want it to come to that. And that's it. And and I know it's really ridiculous for being an, an Arrow fan. But I'm, I'm one of those very few people out there that believes in a hero's death. I believe in having a hero die in a very courageous, brave way. Mm-hmm. And then somebody who loved him just as much who picks up the mantle and says, I'm going to make them happy. And I, so I'm be okay. If, if Oliver did die, then I would be okay with that. But I would love it if he came back, you know, <laughs> like yeah. a whole person and not just like a ghostly spirit. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm pretty much right there with you. Uh, for me, going to, into crisis, my expectations aren't weren't very high because I'm not really going into crisis as a Supergirl fan or as a Flash fan. I'm an Arrow fan, so my focus was pretty much them finishing out Ol- Oliver's story well and Easter eggs. Like that's pretty much what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's it. That's all. That's all I really need. And definitely dig his Green Lantern. I think I've ranted about this every other day for the last year and a half. <laughs> that that's all. I need. <laughs> yeah. Ever since they, me. yeah. Ever since they introduced the Stewart, Colonel General Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's my constant. I'm like, just give me what I want, and get like these, these um, uh, bloggers that keep hinting that there are things happening with this and they just won't give me what I want. It's very, very, very annoying. <laughs> Hurry up already. This it's like for crying out loud, he has the green glow in his helmet. The, the helmet, the new suit with the extra green in it. His dad, his dad's Stuart. Like it's right there. Just give it yeah. to me. <laughs> and I'm like, and as my spec, I've been saying, I'm like, they have Kevin Smith. He's right there. His stupid story's right there. Just give me Diggs Green Lantern and Oliver's Arrow because that's what they're supposed to do. And let's just wrap this story. Yeah, I think that right now, going into the final two episodes of Crisis, and more importantly, the final episode of Arrow, it's just about closure. I don't know if I want anything. I've, I haven't really been on the Crisis bandwagon this past year because I, I think it's stupid to announce something so far in advance. I think it's really lame how 
how we've had this buildup and enough time to get overly high expectations and to, to be, I think, genuinely disappointed in the overall product because there's so much hype around it. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I'm glad that we're finally through the halfway point because I don't know how much more I could do with just speculating about what it would be like. And and I, I need them to wrap it up. I need to know what happens to Barry. I need to know what happens to Oliver. Barry is really I'm worried about because I'm worried about what post-crisis Flash looks like, you know? <laughs> What, what, how are they, what are they going to do for the second half of the season, considering everything they built around during the first half, arguably even including blood work, really revolved around crisis? Like, what, who is this character these days? And, and especially, he just lost his, another father figure. What does that mean? What, what's going on with him and Iris? Iris, who has always been really, cool about her husband dying in my opinion (laughs) right so 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 i i really i it's not that i'm expecting anything from crisis i'm really actually more curious about what post-crisis looks like for Mm. these heroes Mm. right yeah 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 i agree and picking up on that point sarah as far as what post-crisis looks like because i mean the obviously the they're going to have to you know the whole purpose of crisis originally was to streamline the dc universe and so this is a television way of streamlining all these shows into to one universe and so it, you know so for me overall i've i've enjoyed the the crossover um it i you know i tried you know like you i i tried to keep the expectations government expectations going into it so i could just sit back and enjoy it as a fan and i have mm-hmm. um i really have i, I can't sit here and say i, I haven't I, I really have enjoyed the series uh, up to this point i think just you know looking at the teaser you know a lot of people are making a lot of you know at least on the flash side of the of the house which i'm the flash fan here um you know <laughs> the is that the, the trailer for part four has a glimpse of reverse flash that people are like you know going back to the headline again and and of course oliver saying barry you're in the speed force so of course i'm curious like okay how are they going to basically bring everything back because that did happen in the comic and 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 will our paragons be the only you know will be will they be the only ones who realize what went on and will all the other folks not have memories of it, or will they have memories of it? So those those are some of the things I'm looking for. To your point, Sarah, as far as what the post-crisis world and post-crisis Arrowverse looks like, because um, yeah, and we'll get some more fan service, I'm sure. Maybe maybe we'll finally get the Glitz Green Lantern, and um, maybe we'll get some other awesome cameos. Uh, love it. Somebody from Krypton showed up or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably. I know it's not going to be Segel, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's moving forward. That's what I am looking at. I guess, like you said, Tasha, part four will probably wrap up a lot of things because, you know, part five really, I think is sort of serves as a kickoff for Legends of Tomorrow. So, um, I guess that'll be the, I guess that'll, that'll start answering some of our questions, what the post-crisis Arrowverse looks like. Oh man. I love it if we got Walter. (laughs) <laughs> like Krypton, I was like, oh, 
come on, like just bring back yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So great. <laughs> and as far as like people remembering, I have said it like before, but I really want Mia and William to remember. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be really bummed if they don't because I feel like a huge portion, like last season, was their time with their mom in the future and her teaching them in her own way for them to be heroes. And this season has been their dad teaching them how to be heroes so if they you know i'm cool with i can accept them um changing bits of the future to give them a better future but i want them to actually remember this time that they had with him that is it for our best of 2019 podcast again this is just a quick sample of some of the highlights of our past year be sure to visit our website at scene and nerd dot dot com that's scene dot l-i-b-s-y-n dot com for all of our content for the last year on behalf of sarah belmont our host this is will polk reminding you to follow our crew on twitter at cedar nerd friend us on facebook follow us on instagram but most importantly rate subscribe and comment on apple podcast soundcloud youtube spotify and wherever you get podcasts good night geek out happy new year See you in 2020. You're welcome.